how did transitioning out of the military look for you and kind of, you know, entering, you know, that, that new world after, you know, only knowing the military for 20 years? Yeah, it's tough because, uh, even if you do recognize it in yourself that you're not prioritizing your family, um, that, that is what you're doing. Uh, and it's not a, uh, it's not you being a bad husband or a bad father or whatever. It, it's very much a matter of fact that if I don't prioritize what it is I'm doing in the military, I'm not coming home. You're listening to the Art and War podcast with your host, Mitch and Nathan. Mitch is a former Airborne Infantry squad leader who now spends most of his time coaching soccer. Nathan is a professional illustrator and an avid shooter with a couple of years of Canadian military experience. Together, they run the Seaburn Art page. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Today, we got uh, we got Fred. He works at Spiritus. He's a former uh, Air Force nerd doing all types of stuff and things. Mm-hmm. Um, Basically a pilot. <laughs> that's what everybody thinks. Everybody's like, oh, you're in the Air Force. Yeah. You fly fucking fighter jets. What do you right? fly? Yeah. Yeah. So what did you uh, what did you do in the Air Force? Kind of give that backstory where you uh, where you started out, why you joined, what you were doing. Uh, yeah, so I just knew, um, you know, it, it's in my my blood. You know, I was just going to join the military since I was like six years old. Uh, there's other things that kind of came in and out. Like I used to be a big time artist, and I was looking to do that. I actually got an internship to Blizzard Entertainment way back in the '90s. The video game. You guys know who? Yeah, I don't know if you guys know who they are. Yeah, back when Warcraft and Starcraft were your thing, they uh, offered me an internship to do like character uh, sketches and stuff like that. I didn't get to go. Um, we were in Germany at the time. But uh, anyways, yeah, so always out in the woods, always doing stupid shit like digging foxholes and stuff in fighting positions. You know, got in a lot of trouble, but just really liked that lifestyle, man. I, you know, I, I grew up on Where Eagles Dare and, you know, the Dirty Dozen. And then eventually, you know, God forgive me, the Navy SEALs, that movie. And I fucking love that stuff. It was so awesome. And I just, I mean, I felt like that inner desire inside me just wanted to do this stuff. Um, And so with that, though, like high school really sucked for me because I knew what I wanted to do. And I had a lot of people around me that just like, man, what am I going to do? And I just, I, I, when I was like 16, I was ready to just go enlist and, and, uh, get out but my parents are really adamant about you know finishing school and all that shit so probably a good thing uh but then the time came you know i was finishing my senior year and i had to figure out what i wanted to do uh you know i had a ranger recruiter in my fucking house my dad was like let's hold on a second and my dad at the time was a uh 06 he was a vice wing commander and he brought over one of his good friends who was a combat controller and uh you know, that was it. At the time, combat control was the only um, unit out there that was, it was required for you to be airborne, halo, and scuba qualified. That was the only unit out there that that you had to do those before you even get into the unit. Um, And I was like, yeah, that's what I want. Like, I want those things. I don't, I don't want to wait until I'm 30 to finally go to free fall school or whatever. So like, yep, that's it. I'm doing that. Um, so yeah. And then since then, I was like, this is going to be it. I came in guaranteed, uh, in 2000 for combat control. Uh, I really did. I really had no fucking idea what I was getting into. None. Everyone thinks they're ready. You know, they, they do all these silly exercises and calisthenics and mentally you think you're good to go. No, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, especially the water. Uh, I was a 
mediocre floater. That's about it. Um, and so the pool really kicked my ass. So it was a real eye opener. I had to learn pretty quick how to, how to overcome that shit. Uh, but yeah, I came in guaranteed. I was actually finished the, the pipeline, got my beret, and then you, that's about a year, eight months to a year. Um, you go to air traffic control school, you go to survival school, airborne school, and then you go to combat control school and you get your beret. Uh, and then you go to Florida for another year to get all your upgrade training. So now you're getting your free fall, your dive, and then all of your uh, specialty skills uh, when it comes to combat control and uh, you know close air support and air traffic control stuff, et cetera. When I was going, the first thing you do is you, you do pre-scuba uh, because that's the, the uh, ass kicker of it all. Like the, the water is the equalizer. Um, and I was starting to have problems that I never knew I had before. You know, there was a combination of doing these extensive workouts and then putting yourself in a position where you can't breathe anymore. And something occurred with my heart that it didn't like it. And uh, essentially what it felt like is that it was knocking my heart out of rhythm. And it was just kind of like not not beating, but just kind of fluttering. Um, and so I had a really, really hard time in the pool Obviously, guys were terrified that I was going to die or some shit in the pool. And then, you know, um, big no-no in the community and shut down the place. Uh, but finally, thank God, uh, somebody figured it out. It was this legit, straight-up Chinese doctor in Texas. He was an Air Force colonel, barely spoke English, but he knew exactly what it was. Um, and so I got a, an operation done, catheter ablation, where they stick these uh cameras and prods into your main arteries one in your neck and one in your uh in your leg went to my heart pump me full of adrenaline and i'm awake for this whole thing pump me full of adrenaline and they start zapping these certain nerves to create recreate what's going on and they finally hit it and they're like is that it I'm like oh yeah that's it killed that nerve uh and that was it never had an incident again i came back i went back through pre-scuba for the third time uh, and had zero issues, uh, you know, never, never experienced that thing again. So that set me back a year. Um, uh, so I didn't, I didn't finish that school until 2003. So I came in 2000, finished pipeline in 2001, finally finished the advanced skills training in 2003, and then got to my unit, uh, in 2004. So you said your dad was an 06. So, and you were in Germany, were you at, um, What's that base out there? Hohenfels or Stuttgart? Stuttgart. Stuttgart. Yeah. Stuttgart. So your your father being in the Air Force in an 06, that's like a no bullshit position. You're pretty high up there if you're there. That influenced you. Did that influence like your decision or was it more, I, I want to do this anyway. I want to be a part of the military culture regardless. Oh, no, it absolutely influenced him. Like I, I idolized my dad. He was, uh, to this day, he is single-handedly probably one of the greatest human beings on the planet like uh, one of the most honest one of the the nicest dudes on the planet um and i just idolize that dude um he's a vietnam vet um he, he has been involved in you know the black world for total 40 years um 30 of them in the military very cloak and dagger stuff flying in and out of east germany flying in and out of Laos and Cambodia. Uh, so he had been involved uh, in a lot of things. And man, that 
that just intrigued me, you know, and this is at a time we didn't have emails or cell phones and stuff. So he would, he would deploy and be gone. And, uh, just knew that, you know, he's on this secret mission somewhere. And then months later he would come back and it's over, you know, and he wouldn't talk about it, but maybe you see it in the news or whatever. And, you know, that always intrigued me along with all the, you know, the movies I'm talking about where all these guys are doing things in the, in the background and like, man, that's fucking cool. Uh, I was never into, you know, straight up like infantry line charges and stuff. I was very much into the guys that went in to targets and just made people disappear. You know what I mean? Like not, not slit throats and stuff, but just pulled that guy out and just left everyone else. Like what the fuck just happened? Like that, was exciting to me. But on top of that, like I said in the beginning, like it's in my blood. Um, you know, my family's been in the military ever since the Revolutionary War. Uh, we have, we actually have my, my uh, great, 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 whatever grandfather's pay stub thing from uh, when he was in an all German battalion under, under Washington. And we have his name written on there, Christopher. And uh, he was a private. Uh, but yeah, since then, you know, we have all these records of guys uh fighting out in pennsylvania against the indians under washington and that's how we got land out there because uh, at the time if you fought with washington against the iroquois nation uh they gave you like 100 acres or something and then my family slowly just kept moving further west until they got into indiana uh, but that's always been in there uh you know ancestors in korea vietnam first world war second world war they, so it's just in there probably safe to say that I can't hold it in. I can't deny my, my, what I am. So. Yeah. It's your lineage and your lineage is very important. Um, and it's important to a lot of people, uh, myself, my grandparents, my great grandparents came over during the Armenian genocide. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And before that, I, I mean, we don't know anything about them. Um, you know, my grandparents have passed down stories to me about what their grandparents were like in Armenia, but, um, that lineage is very important. And my grandfather was with my, his brother-in-law. So my grandmother's brother, they're at a football game and they saw that Pearl Harbor happened and they were one of the hundreds or thousands of people that just left whatever they were doing, went and enlisted. Yep. Um, and, you know, having that lineage is a huge um, factor for why I joined uh, what I did. Uh, my grandfather was an infantryman. I decided I want to be a step up from that and I went airborne infantry and now I talk shit to him a lot. And literally like, stepped up. Yeah, literally <laughs> stepped up. So did, a, they, did they come over together or did they meet over here? So my great grandparents fled the country. Um, you know, a lot of my, what would they be? They'd be my great aunts, like my, um, my grandparents' brothers and sisters, they were the only two in their family. So like they were the only ones within their family that made it out. The rest were like, if you were a woman, you were hogtied, raped, and then thrown in a river to drown. If you were a man, you were um, even a boy, you were like decapitated or you were crucified or they marched you out into the desert and you just starved to death. Um, it was, a, it was, a, it was a lot of like making statement stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like if you're a boy, you're going to get fucking decapitated, like go fuck yourself. We'll do it in front of the village type deal when that whole thing happened. Um, but yeah, they joined the military, uh, together. Um, my grandfather ended up being a driver for general Patton after. Oh, he got nice. Yeah. He's, um, He's he's in the Fort Knox Museum, actually, my grandfather is. 
Uh, there's a picture of him. Was he the driver when Patton was killed? No, 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 no. Because no. that would be interesting. No, that would be he, something to learn from. Yes. Um, no, but he was he was not that person. Um, he got he got injured by a German potato smasher, and this was back in the day. You know, it's fucking World War Two. You know, it's yeah. not like oh, you're injured. Let's call a medevac and get you out. It was, hey, you're injured. All right, well, you know, you're not as back. injured as yeah. this guy. Like you can get back there, you know, you got to crawl there a mile, I guess you're fine. He still got shrapnel on his leg, but he ended up then being reassigned to a tank driver and he said he fucking hated it and he purposely crashed a tank because back then like the person would stand on your shoulders and they'd like tap, like tap your shoulder on the right. If they wanted you to turn right, tap you on the left, they wanted to turn left. Yeah. And it was an NCO. So of course he's a dickhead. He would kick my grandfather in the back of the head. So my grandfather was like, fuck this and crash a fucking tank. Um, and then General Patton came and visited and was doing something. And my grandfather just started talking to him, which is fucking bold. Yeah. And, no uh, yeah. And he became like his driver and kind of like personal assistant where he just drove around doing favors. Um, you know, everybody knew who he was. If he rolled up by himself, like people are like, oh, that's General Patton's dude. Like, just let him do whatever the fuck he wants. So no big yeah. deal. Yeah. So he would always flex with that, you know, still in his old age, he's still alive, still kicking, still gardening. Um, awesome man. But having that lineage definitely affected me when I enlisted and I am, you know, uh, hearing how it affected yours, I, I can 100% relate to it. What, what age did you decide to enlist? Uh, like officially, probably when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I mean, I always knew that I, I wanted to go, you know, do stuff uh, military-wise. Uh, but when I finally, after uh, maybe maybe a, uh, an artist or maybe a, a veterinarian or whatever, and then finally freshman year, I was like, no, this is it. This is what I want to do. And that's why I had struggled in high school because I, I felt like this was all worthless to me. Like, I don't need it. I know what I want to do kind of thing. Uh, which is unfortunate. It's supposed to be some good years there, but did you have to get your parents' permission? Like, because um, when I did it, I had to like have them like sign because I enlisted at seventeen. They're like, "Yeah, you can go do whatever you want." I guess. Uh, no, because I I signed when I was eighteen. Um, oh, okay. because I I'm a December baby, so you know I was the older kid in my grade, and and I had my you know my nineteenth birthday at basic training, so um, it, yeah, it wasn't necessary. So you knew at a very young age, and at what age did Blizzard approach you? Uh, it must have been uh, in 96 or 97, so my freshman or sophomore year, one of those two. That's the year I was born. <laughs> so Blizzard, uh, you know, the company Blizzard now that makes all these badass video games, I was making badass video games back then, was like, and and this was just... Visual art or digital art? What kind of? No, it was it was very much visual then. Uh, the digital stuff, uh, they they went hard to the paint on that, you know, later on. But uh, I I had no experience in that stuff. I I had uh, whatever the art app is on your computer, your PC, or whatever. That's the kind like of stuff paint. I was doing. Yeah, paint. There you go. Uh, no, it was, it was all character sketch stuff. Um, and then you would build the concepts, draw the concepts, and sometimes they would use that stuff for like. Like some of their uh, like books and, and and stuff like that, but they would take that and then give it to, yeah, digital draw fella, and he would put that together and make it professional. Hey, do you guys like war belts? 
<laughs> well, let me tell you about a super high military grade army spec <laughs> war belt from one of our most near and dear sponsors, Advanced Warfighter Solutions. Not only are they super high military grade and quality, they are also civilian grade and quality and actually really fucking cool belts. I highly recommend that you get one. I've been using mine for years, even long before AWS has been a sponsor of this podcast. So if you use code Art and War 10, you can save some, I think it's $10 off of uh, AWS SMU Warfighting Belt. We don't get any kickback from that. You just save money and they're a uh, they're an awesome company that also contributed to Nathan's iPad fund because he needed a new iPad. So good for them. They're really cool. Thank you very much. Thanks, AWS. Hey, this is Mitchell with Seaburn Art. Did you know that we have a Patreon? We do have a Patreon and there's a ton of cool things there. Super cool things. And Nathan's going to tell you about them. Hey guys, Nathan here from the Art and War podcast here to tell you about Patreon. Um, there's a, a 24 hour Korean massage parlor several blocks from my house and I go there for happy endings. It gets pretty expensive and I need you to donate me money so I can continue to, to serve my dark, um, my dark addiction. Not only can you help Nathan get hand jobs from Koreans, you can also help us continue to improve the quality of content that we do. You get merch now after a couple months of being a Patreon subscriber, which is cool. We also have stickers and we also have high-res downloadable targets that you can download, send to Staples and get weird looks when you print them out to bring them to your range and shoot. Also, all of our guides. All of our guides are downloadable high res so if you want to print them out and make a cool little book yeah you can go for that too you can find our patreon via the link in this episode's description or in the cbernard pages bio on instagram now let's get back to the show so you were making like big decisions for your life at a very very young age and i know you know you're in high school you kind of get away with a lot of shit and you can make dumb decisions and I look back and cringe on a lot of shit that I did, as I'm sure millions and millions of people do. But for you, it was, you had big decisions. I mean, joining the military is a big decision, but it's an easy decision when you don't have anything else going on. You had other, you had other shit, like you could have worked for Blizzard and you could have came out of that at a very young age. And I mean, imagine you did 20 years there and where you would have been now if you, I mean, you did. 20, 30 years doing something else and you were very successful at it. And I imagine you feel very fulfilled from it. But those are big, impactful decisions that determine the course of your life that you were making at a young age that not too many people do. It's either like, yeah, college, maybe, military, maybe, or maybe you just do nothing. But you had you had options. Sure, but you know, you're an idiot when you're that age. You don't you don't know that it's a big decision. You're just like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll do it. Um and and still to this day, like decisions don't really bother me. I don't dwell on them very much, and I very much didn't dwell on them then either. Um, just I don't know if it's a positive aspect or a positive view on life or whatever it is. I'm just like fuck it, whatever. It'll be fine, you know. I'll work it out. Uh, same today. Like my wife hates it. She hates that I don't worry about anything. I'm like no, there's no there's no rockets and mortars. Uh, within reach here. So we're good. You know, I think that's one of the intangible skills that people that can have success in the military have where it's very like decision-making, like you can do it, but when there's nothing really to stress about, you don't stress about little things. Um, like 
you go, you got your bills paid. People are healthy. Nobody's dying. Like, cool. You know, anything else is gravy and there's no need to be stressed about other things. It drives my wife up the fucking wall too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for sure, the the worst decision that you can make is no decision. So make a fucking decision as long as it's, you know, not illegal or immoral or going to get someone hurt. You know, you're good to go. You can recover from it. Mm. That's still so because not a lot of people have options at that age. You know, my option was I could go to college and be fucking miserable. I knew I didn't like school. Yeah, same. (laughs) The only other option I had was sports. I was really good at football and soccer, enough to get a scholarship to places. And I had some. I got hurt. Um, I tore my quad. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, well, fuck, that's not happening. Um, I I tore my quad at actually um, a camp in, uh, where was it? Was it Vermont? I think it was Vermont. I was like 16 years old. I was going into my senior year, tore my quad and you know, sports at that age, you tear your quad in high school. That's going to follow you at, through all your recruiting process. Oh, injury yeah. prone, you know, maybe that quad isn't as weak. He doesn't come back as strong and any, any little thing happens. So I'm like, yeah, that's fucking it right there. And I knew right then. And then I'm like, well, what do I want to do? And then uh, I, I started to think about my grandfather and it really kind of just hit me. And I'm like, fuck it up. I'm, I'm enlisting. I'm I'm gonna go. Yeah. Um, didn't Very turn much into a, a legitimate excuse. Fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it. I mean, when you're when you're that young, like you said, you're kind of a fucking idiot, and you don't think about like these things in depth. It's like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, I'll go. No. Yeah, yeah. I'll go join the military. Whatever. I'll go be an airborne infantry consequences, dude. Consequences. Consequences don't exist. I very much remember. Oh man, what's that fucking band? Where the the one of the lyrics was "You're under sixteen, you won't do any time," and like that that was a very much big attitude back then. Offspring, that's what it was. The offspring, like that was the attitude back then. It was like a lot of grunge kids and all that shit. You know, they didn't give a fuck about the consequences because you were under sixteen. You know, <laughs> uh, and whether you believe that or not, man, that attitude, you know, just kind of everyone adapted that attitude. And they're like, whatever, I don't give a shit. When am I going to go to the principal's office? Oh no. So yeah, those weren't necessarily big decisions to us it was just to yeah fuck it and do it and plus i just had the desire to do it i too uh had a soccer scholarship as well uh, so i had that option too it was it, it was to a very minor college up in up north i want to say it was vermont i can't remember but um so i had that option but uh i don't know at that time i had played soccer since i was four years old um, how did you have a scholarship what's that how did i have it yeah, for soccer, if you haven't played since you were four. No, no, I had I had been playing since oh, I was four. Years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I was on the Olympic development program team and all that shit, and very fun. Did a lot of, uh, you know, local leagues there in Germany as well. Uh, I loved it. It was fun, but uh, I just had, I don't know, I just had this thing inside of me that wanted to do something. Maybe at the time that was more selfish. That was like I want to be remembered, and then as as you realize that's what you want to do, it turns into something like uh, I want to just do something fucking good. And playing soccer to me at the time just it wasn't going to cut that. I don't know. Maybe probably looking too deep into it, but uh, yeah, very much loved soccer, very much loved art, and now I can't deal with both of them. I can't just it just bothers me. I still mm-hmm. do some drawings, like I, I draw stuff for my wife and here and there, but uh, 
it's very much a time thing now. Like I feel like time is running out and I, I just can't waste it, if you will, uh, on these little side projects. I got bigger things to, to deal with. Yeah. When, you know, and I think that goes back to that kind of mindset of when you're young, it's like, I don't, you know, I have all the time in the world. And then exactly. I find yep. the older that you get, the faster time seems to go. Um, I'm still, you know, what, relatively young i'm in my mid-20s and i still feel like i'm like holy shit like it feels like a couple weeks ago i was enlisting i was 17 oh yeah and it it was my hamstring wasn't my quad i just remembered that too it was my fucking hamstring not my quad but um yeah the older you get the faster time goes and you start to really realize that you want to spend your time doing things that make you feel fulfilled, whether that's for, you know, a greater purpose, whether that's just for your family, whether it's a selfish endeavor, you want to do something that makes you feel fulfilled. Um, when you look back on how many, how many years you said you did 25, no, 20 years and it was something like five months or something like that. 20 years. When you look back on your 20 years, um, you know, I think back to the eight, I'm going on eight now that I've had. There's moments that I remember and there's moments where I feel fulfilled, but there's just a lot of like white noise I don't remember. Is it similar kind of at 20 where it's like you just have these moments that you really uh, feel strongly about or, you know, do you look at the, your service as a whole or how, how, how do you reflect on that? It's probably as a whole um, all put together. Uh, a lot of it's because of TBIs, you know, you can't really remember too many things, but, uh, but there's never really, uh, unless you've, you've actually personally like saved an individual's life. I, I think that would be a good example. Uh, but you, you typically just look at the whole thing as, as a whole, uh, because one specific operation or a specific training mission or specific humanitarian thing it's very fast. Um, and it's, it's just like you said, things go very quickly. Like there were moments, uh, or there were s- specific times during deployments that we were doing operations every fucking night. And there's no way you can remember that shit. It's you, a blur. Yeah. You, you come back and you do your debrief, uh, you do your shooter statements if you take shots and then you literally just brain dump it. Uh, unless there was a, a a lesson learned that was key to the operation, you just brain dump it and you go into your rhythm. You go work out, you go eat, you go to sleep uh, because you got to get ready for the next one. So, I think at the time you looked at it as like dwelling on the past, and so you need to be ready for the future. Uh, when in fact, it's just it's just too much information to take in. You just gotta, you know, move that penguin off your iceberg and get ready for the next penguin to get on. Yeah, in the moment, it is very fast. It's rapid. And, you know, well, looking back, it's very fast and rapid. But I feel like in the moment, it's kind of, at least for me, in some experiences when I'm out doing like a really, you know, long training rotation or like five months in Estonia, right? Yeah. Like, it seemed like it took forever when you're there. Or like it's taking forever, but when you're looking back on it, I'm like, dude, five months in Estonia, what did I do? <laughs> and like I can only remember really specific fucking events that happened, you know, whether it was like a really good time where we 
uh, went out and we went to the Capitol um, on like New Year's and the whole city hosted us. They were really thankful. We got a oh, bunch wow. of uh, great, it was all, it was awesome. Like there's specific moments I remember, but for the most part, like if you ask me like day to day, what were you doing there? I'm like, Bro, I don't fucking know. Like even in Afghanistan, same thing. When you're just constantly doing different shit, yep. it's like, I couldn't fucking tell you what my day to day was. Um, but yeah, so here, here's the, I don't know if you call that analogy, but here's the setup that I usually get into when folks ask if like, do you miss it? Um, it, it, like, sure. Yes, I miss it, but you actually only miss like 10% of it because that's the memorable shit. You only remember the 10% where you're like on TDY hanging with the bros, uh, 10% when you're deployed and in action, the other 90% is heinous mundane bullshit that you just can't you know online training shit that you had to get done or uh having to go filter through the armory to make sure everyone's guns in place or setting up training events and it's just fucking shit that you hate but then you get those like man i miss it and like no you don't no you don't you 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 miss that tdy you miss Mm -hmm. that deployment that's it the rest of if they could just like call me on the phone and like hey we need you to go do this mission it'll take a week and like Man, that'd be a badass job, but they don't. They have control of you and they fucking, you know, they attach a phone with a beeper on all the times and you're always on alert and you're always doing this dumb, mundane shit. No, man, I don't miss that shit one bit. <laughs> yeah, my mom used to ask me, so like, what do you do like during the day? Because like I would- I was an airborne infantry dude. And when you hear that, it's like, oh, so you like shoot guns. You're always out doing – You're bayonetting people and shit, right? Yeah. And I'm like, (laughs) mom, honestly, I couldn't tell you what I did today. I can just tell you that I I felt really busy all day and I don't know what I got done. (laughs) Like I I, I couldn't tell you. I felt like I was rushed and I was super fucking busy. I don't know what I accomplished. Did some paperwork maybe. uh, Built up you know, a counseling packet for a soldier I guess. for some reason, we had to move all of these things from one connex to this other connex. Like I don't know. Like I could, <laughs> there's so many random fucking little things that you don't think about when you're enlisting, and you know they don't tell you about that shit. It's no. like you're gonna go be combat controller. Well, what's that fucking sound like you're gonna be doing? That's what you're gonna be doing, and then. Little do you know, like you said, there's like 10% where you're actually doing that. And then the rest is whatever the fuck yeah. random task somebody decides to come up with that day. You could easily just go to sleep and wake up when the next action happens and you accomplish the same amount of shit. Yeah, and it makes me it makes me laugh because there's days where, you know, throughout everybody's career where you just kind of like take a day, you sham out. You're like, yeah, I got dental appointment at fucking 10. So there's yeah. no point in me coming in at 930 formation. That's going to go up until lunch. And then I have something after lunch. And then you just take the day and the world doesn't fucking end. But while you, if you were there, the world would be ending unless these tasks get done. And you realize you're like, none of this shit really fucking matters. Like no. I don't need to print out an LES every week to make sure that everybody's pay is good every single week. Like that's something that you can do like once a month, you look at it. Okay. I'm good to go. They took my leave. They didn't take my leave even better. My pay is fine. Um, but there's just so much random monotonous bullshit. that just, I'm not going to miss. I'm not going to miss. No, not at all. That, that's, uh, that was one good thing that, uh, my, my later unit was really good at, uh, cause we were, Operationally busy a lot. Um, 
gone 290 to 300 days out of the year, um, whether it's the deployments themselves uh, in conjunction with TDYs and such, and then contingency operations type stuff. Uh, they were really good about like, hey, if you got nothing fucking to do here, go home. And, you know, leave wasn't an issue. Or Team leaders and above would stay behind and take care of whatever needed to be taken care of. And then, uh, you know, all the muscle just, hey, fuck off, guys. You got nothing to do here. Get out of here. So uh, we, we were lucky in that regards the uh, last few, uh, last 10, 12 years that I was there. But, yeah, and the, on the flip side, when I was on the white side uh, of STS, yeah, very much so. Show up. Typically, I would try to work out for like three hours to kind of like not be <laughs> involved in shit. But then, yeah, there's a lot of sitting around in the team room. It's kind of like, ah, maybe I should sign on my computer and see what the fuck can do. Because there's nothing. To, if there's no training event, you know, there's nothing to do. It's pretty crazy. I actually got uh, linked up with a lot of uh, airborne guys here when I was on my way out to offer them like free training with stuff. Because I knew their gig, like they're just sitting in their fucking dorm, not doing shit. It's like, hey man, like I'll, I'll teach you guys, uh, whatever it is you want. And they just, their leadership wouldn't let them, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe it's a, maybe it was a legitimate excuse because they don't know who I am or whatever. But I was like, I'm more, I, I'm more willing to come in and talk with your leadership. And they just, they wanted nothing to do with it. They wanted their control of their guys, doing nothing. <laughs> Yeah, it's very – it's a good attitude to have at a team, squad, maybe a platoon level where it's like, no, these are my guys. We're going to do what we're doing. And if you're actually doing shit, um, the highest I ever made it was a squad leader. And it was always – I started to get in trouble later on in my career where I you know, kind of stopped really giving a shit and realized that I worked for my soldiers and not you know, the people that write my NCOER. And it would be like yep. – fuck, it's 11 o'clock and we have no tasks for the day, go home. Like, don't be here. There's no point in you being here. You're just going to sit here, twiddle your thumbs, be on your phone. There's no training. We just went out back. We spent four fucking hours working on this thing. We're good to go. We just crushed squad, like, go home. And, uh, you know, when you're able to do that at a team squad, like I said, maybe a platoon level, like, it's good. But once you start getting company-wide and you have a first sergeant and a – and a company commander and it's like, no, we don't want anybody from the outside to come in and do anything with us because we can do it all here. We can do it all in-house. And then, then do you, it. Yeah, then, do exactly. It. Then do it. The problem is they don't do it. Um, you know, to kind of stop bitching about, you know, the military <laughs> a little bit. Um, no, bitching's good. I did a video about it. Bitching's good. Yep. Um, so you, you did all this at a young age. You uh, made these tough decisions. Um, well, they weren't tough at the time. Tough-ish. Tough-ish. Yeah, you, you, you made these decisions that would impact the rest of your life at a very young age. Um, and then you ended up, uh, you know, being very successful doing 20 years, getting out. I'm kind of curious, because you've deployed a couple different times. You've done a couple different things throughout your career, a lot of different jobs. Um, when you see what's happening with the withdraw- with the withdrawal of Afghanistan, how did that affect you? Um, I know how it affected me, um, but I'm curious your perspective from somebody who's, you know, done more than double the amount of time I've ever been in, who's deployed way more than I have. W- what does that feel like for you? Um, so to be honest, it's very, it was very expected. Um, you know, 
we knew that we were going to leave at some point, and we knew it was not going to be a good leave. We knew it was not going to be a good pullout. Uh, whether that, whether the way it really happened, or whether it, it took a month or or, or whatever, uh, it was just not going to be uh, the right way to do things, I guess, because we were just too dug in there. We, we held on to that thing way too fucking long. Um, there was just no way to make that breakup happen. You know, like you, you have that girlfriend you should have dumped two years ago. Uh, you know, that's, it's just not going to go well. So I, I knew that was going to happen. Um, and over the years of, of being in the service and stuff, you know, I lost a lot of, uh, a lot of emotions at that point. So it was devastating. And I knew deep down inside, I knew that it was devastating, but I just didn't like at that point, I was just so numb to the shit. I was like, I fucking knew it. And, I, it, and there was no outrage. There was no uh, glee that we were leaving. It was just very much uh, right down the middle. Like, yeah, I fucking knew it. Um, there was a caveat to that, that, that my actual old team, from my last unit were the ones that went there and uh, ran the airfield and uh, coordinate all the evacuations and stuff. So it was very much, uh, you know, kind of at that point was the uh, like, fuck, I missed that. Man. And I wish I was there with those guys. More, more, those guys are fucking beyond capable. They don't need me whatsoever, but it was very much a selfish, like, man, I wish I was there with those dudes. Um, but they fucking killed it. They rocked it. Uh, you know, did did what they could with what little they had the the fucking stories that come out of that are unbelievable um it it, it just astronomically um an astronomical failure beyond belief and and i know not to get the political shit in here but i know that the that our government's telling us that it was very successful and stuff and it was not it was an absolute debacle um and come, this is coming from very seasoned, very uh, professional uh, individuals who have been in action since the very beginning. So they know what a catastrophe looks like and they know what a fucking uh, a complete fucking success looks like. And they're like, this is beyond anything we've ever fucking seen. Um, a, a complete fucking disaster. And so, yeah, um, eventually there was a, a moment that in which I was thoroughly upset at how we did that and how we continue to do that as Americans. Um, you know, Vietnam, uh, uh, abandoning the Kurds for a third fucking time, uh, abandoning Afghanistan. And I know that, I know that the rebuttal is like, well, what should we have done? You know, uh, and like, I don't know, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to find that answer. I'm just saying what we did was fucked. What we did was an absolute fucking shit show. Well, and, you know, to add to that, when I see people considering it a success, like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a success to Tyler Andrews, you know, uh, one of the Marines that's now a double amputee right? Um, that went there and was just trying to do the right thing, trying to do his job being a Marine. It wasn't a success to, you know, those soldiers that died, you know, and not just in that moment throughout the... 20 years we were there. This isn't a success. This isn't what success looks like. No. And I think one of the problems with that is when when the Afghanistan papers came out, I mean, I read that and I'm like, okay, so we don't even know what winning look like, looks like. Like there's no 
plan for what success would even be. Right. And then to see we withdraw, to see the shit show that was us withdrawing be touted as like, oh, this is success we got out of Afghanistan. Like, sure. Like, if we're just looking at we left and that's like what success is for you, sure. But what did we leave behind, you know, equipment wise, um, lives, the countless amounts of uh, trauma that people have experienced over the last 20 years. It's just the trust of the American people. Like it's absurd. Um, it is absurd. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievably crazy. Um, it, I mean, there, there were, I, I, I'm not going to say who, but there were entities there. They were going against orders and um, using, using different assets to personally go in and recover individuals to get them out uh, when when the government was telling them like close the gates no more entries um yeah we we i heard about some of those um it happened a lot with some terps um some got out some didn't you hear stories uh and it's not like big story like in the news you hear stories from like the people that you that you know that like yeah you know so and so didn't make it out um and they don't get talked about and it's that, you know, it's such a small community already of people that have been there um, and that have experienced this loss. And then to see it just come to an absolute chaotic shit show of an end that it's, I don't know how it can be viewed as a success other than it's probably, you know, I'm I'm not smart enough to know the grand scheme and overall what's good and what's bad. I think, you know, not being there is better than being there doing what we were doing. Cause we were kind of half-assing it for the last 10 years. Like what do we have? No more than 8,000 troops there at one time. Like that's not going to accomplish shit. No, you know, it was just kind of like go there, maybe do some HVT stuff. Um, you know, even our deployment, the only reason we did anything is because we were attached to ODA. Like nobody, it was mostly Tower Guard defending these millions and billions of dollars worth of bases and equipment that we just had there. And then all of a sudden, like none of that even matters because we just fucking left it for them. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was expecting very much a like Germany, Japan type thing where we, we leave a presence, presence there permanently. Uh, you know, support the government still. Uh, that's what I was expecting, but obviously. That's what I thought too. I thought we were going to be there forever. Like how we're still in Italy, how we're still in Germany. Like you said, I thought we were going to be there forever. You make a duty station kind of like Kuwait is and that, that little hub in Arif, John. Um, or like Korea. Yep. You're doing your, your one year, two year stint in, in Afghanistan. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, like even if we... Uh, we take the emotions out of it. You look at it objectively. What was the strategic value? What what did we gain strategically by pulling out in such a way? It, it, absolutely none. We we didn't gain anything. We gained nothing. Yeah, I mean, we we didn't gain anything leaving, and we didn't gain anything from just sitting there occupying bases. We were yep. just sitting there um, for the most part. Like I said, the you know the ODAs and the SOF community and I'm sure agencies um, were out there doing whatever the fuck they do. 
but I mean, what was what was the point? I guess is a question on a lot of people's minds, and I don't know. I don't. I'm not going to pretend to be smart enough and be like, "This was the main idea and the purpose of us being there for the last ten blah blah blah, whatever." Because I don't fucking know. I just know from what I see and from what I've experienced that nobody fucking knew what was going on, and to leave like that in that fashion and to just, you know, and then that drone strike that supposedly killed those people that uh, took out the Marines. And then it comes out later. It was just a fucking convoy of kids and their families. And it wasn't actually, we didn't actually get those people. You know, it just adds more to the, what the fuck are we doing? Like nobody knows what we're doing. Yeah. That, that was very much an intelligence uh, mix up. They, uh, they, they had intelligence that there was going to be a car bomber and this guy's vehicle very much matched the description of it. Uh, the house where he was originally, where they eventually do the strike, uh, it was close to a known um, ISIS affiliate. Um, so that vehicle left and went down south to where he actually worked. I, and I don't remember what it was. It was some kind of plant or whatever. And they found that suspicious. So they started following the vehicle. Um, and he would bring, you know, gas back home to his house. So he went to another location, put these gas uh, containers in the back of his truck, or I'm sorry, his car. Um, and they found that suspicious. So, um, you know, when he finally came home, um, you know, the kids did what they do every day. And they run out to greet their their dad or, or whatever at the car. And that's when they struck. Now, <laughs> having been a you know forward air controller type, um, conducting a strike like that inside of Kabul, uh, that that would have been a no go for me. They would have never allowed me to do that. So the fact that they got the the go ahead to do that was at a very very high level. And why that individual is not answering for that, you know, I don't know. I, I certainly would be in jail right now. If if I conducted that airstrike and, and gave the go ahead to do it, I, I would be out of a job and in prison. But you know, not so much this guy because maybe this guy's important. I'm not important. Yeah, it is. You know, we talk about especially as NCOs, like we are. You know, the stewards of the standards. We, you know, it doesn't matter what rank you are. If somebody, you know, doesn't have their boots blouse, doesn't matter if they're an O fucking whatever it doesn't matter if they're an e whatever and you're an e whatever you know a private should be able to be like hey sergeant major like you're fucked up right now you know obviously more tact you know with with some tact to it um but that isn't what happens and it becomes it makes you almost question yourself and kind of what you're doing because you think i'm upholding the standard with my soldiers why isn't that happening above me? And who are these people that aren't being held accountable um, for their actions when, like you said, if you were to do that, I mean, you'd be in fucking prison, as I think you should because you killed a bunch of fucking, you know, yeah, innocent absolutely. people. Um, you know, you authorized it. and I mean, you didn't, but if you were to, it's it's a really interesting situation. And I think... I find it funny how that's kind of just being overlooked because the emotions of that whole event are kind of like beyond us. And now we're focusing on 
inflation, war in Ukraine, fucking huge emphasis on, um, you know, like domestic terrorism now. What, what are your thoughts on soldiers in the military being investigated for their political beliefs and affiliations? Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I understand the concern, uh, taking the government side of that. Um, Absolutely. I, I, you know. I agree, too. Yeah, it's it's very very much a common thing for cartels to infiltrate our military to get their guys training, and then you know they do their four or six years, whatever, come back, come out and come back with that training, and they now they have an instructor on the way of our tactics, uh, you know, and the uh, the Chinese are, are are a big deal, and they they infiltrate our shit all the time. Um, I had a very close friend of mine who uh, is in the uh, digital espionage background. And he talked about when he was going through college in his courses, he's like 98% of the class is Chinese. They're mm. over here on, on visas and shit. And they, they finish their college and they go right back to the, the homeland. Um, so that concern is out there. Our, our greatest, our greatest export in the United States is information. That is what we, uh, we do a really good, uh, job of getting out there and uh, being a land of the free is a, a good opportunity for our enemies uh, to take advantage of that. You know, if you're that kid that it always hands out your candy at lunchtime, uh, the word's going to get out and you're, people are going to take advantage of that. So I understand the concern, um, but at the same time, you cannot let bad people or the enemy define what our freedoms are. They cannot um, be able to subdue those it goes completely against everything the constitution is about you know we we don't just start limiting our constitutional rights because maybe perhaps someday the enemy will take advantage of that uh, that's not the definition of a, of a free nation we uh, we can't we can't tolerate that so it's it it sucks like there's it, it, there's ways to prevent those types of things but it's not the right thing to do if, if that's what we want to be, if that's what we want to be a free republic. I am very much on the side that if you're in the military and if you're in uniform, you shouldn't fucking talk about politics. Nope. I, I agree with that. You know, I, I think the military should remain as apolitical as you can, as you can, you know, keep it. The problem that I see is that in the last and the last administration and the transition to the new administration, it very much became a political pawn. And with that, now it's – I'm sure they're still investigating people who they think are committing espionage. And I think you know they should. If you're committing espionage, you like, get fucked. Um, if you're spying for the Chinese government or the Russian government, like get fucked. Like I, I understand that. Like, like you were saying, I, I see why they do it. But when it comes to, you know, um, I'm not I'm not a Trump supporter. Um, I'm not a Democrat or Republican. I am, you know, very much professionally political as much as I am um, outside of work apolitical. I'm just I'm, I'm indifferent to it. But to see people that have supported a former president being investigated for sharing their thoughts, it's a very conflicting topic that I have internally that I don't really know how to feel about it. Because on one hand, like I said, you shouldn't be fucking talking about politics or maybe even making threats while you're in uniform 
right? You, you shouldn't be doing that. That's not the right thing to do. On the, on the other hand, if you're doing it in your personal life, not the making threats part, talking about politics and expressing your opinions on it, you shouldn't be held to as if you were doing that in uniform. And it can ruin careers. It can you know, very much radicalize people in a way. Um, which is the opposite of what they want to do. I think that is how you radicalize someone if you investigate them and you essentially threaten them in their career because of how they feel politically. It almost entrenches them in their beliefs. It's a really, it's a really weird topic, and I was curious your thoughts because you, uh, I'm sure you've dealt with some weird fuck ass soldiers in your career as uh, you know, every NCO has, but that's a very new approach i feel to politics within the military and i don't remember it being like that when i first enlisted no i mean it needs to be something that's consistent you know like if we have never done that before then why are we doing it now um and the military should never be political whatsoever um uh, i i almost never voted when i was in the military I I did one time because I thought it was the right thing to do and I regretted it completely. And I just, like you said, like you need to remain apolitical while you're in uh, because what if you are a Trump supporter and now Biden's in charge? Like, what are you going to quit? You know, are you going to say, fuck this guy? Or like, you can't. Exactly. You know, pe pe people will rely on you. So um, I just, I just never voted. I just felt like that was the correct answer. Except for that one time, we won't talk about that that little guy. Who'd you um, vote for? Uh, this was this was Obama Bush. Mm -hmm. Yep, I felt like I, I was part of the hysteria. Like Obama was going to fucking kill us all, you know. And then lo and behold, it, it, we're still here. Weird, right? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah. I was one of those guys. I I laugh at people now that are like, Biden's going to send us into the Stone Age. Uh, all right, but um. But yes, very much. Uh, if you're in the military, you lose a lot of rights, and that's for a reason. Um, because we need you to do your job. It's, it's not Google. Uh, it, it's not McDonald's. Um, the, your job is very, very much. A lot of lives rely on you, and we need you to remain professional at times because uh, it, you don't know what you're going to be uh, responsible for. Um, if you have a bunch of you know, military folks online talking about how Trump is is basically Jesus and such. Um, it just doesn't look well to the rest of the world. And what's really important is that there are other entities out there that are not our friends that are seeing this shit uh, very much. So they uh, they very much want the United States to fail. They know that they can't overtly achieve that, so they're going to do it from the inside. It's very much the quote is true. Like the United States will fail from the inside. That's how you do it, and uh, they're going to they're going to hook that shit up. And there's plenty of evidence out there uh, of Russians and Chinese setting up fake, you know, Instagram profiles and uh, you know telling telling this white supremacist group that hey, we're setting up a convention at this place, and then right across the street, another bot is telling this group, hey, we're setting up a convention right over here for, you know, Black Lives Matter. And then all of a sudden they show up at the same time right across the street from each other and lo and behold, there's a conflict. Like that's that's a real thing. 
they understand that. They they know that they can't get to us uh, with conventional types of tactics. They're using those little things to slowly degrade our capabilities. And so we gotta we gotta or we troops need to like segregate themselves away from that shit and just focus on what the mission is. Yeah, and I I agree. You know, uh, being apolitical, I think it's the best thing that you can do. And I'm not just saying that because that's what I do. I was very close to voting in the 2016 election. I didn't. Um, it didn't feel right, uh, regardless of how I felt. I was like, yeah, I support this one candidate, but do it, it, am I in a position as United States infantrymen to make this decision when there's so many other people that inherently disagree with this individual? Like, am I that one? Am I the person that is going to cast my vote like that? And I'm like, no, I'm not. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to do a job regardless of who's in charge. So I don't want to take sides. To counter that though, I do think soldiers should be allowed and able to express themselves politically. I just, like I said, it gets murky. It gets really murky where that line is, especially in today's climate where social media is so rampant. The military itself is becoming political, you know, whether it should or not, it is. It's becoming political for, you know, from the top down, from the bottom up. And it's becoming very whoever's in office. Well, now that is, you know, the good person, the good people. And if you had supported somebody who was in office before this, no, like you're not a good person. We're going to look into you into why you why you think that. Um, you know, people are not allowed to. Once again, I think it's really fucking cringy when people do do this, but they'll have like a like I'm a three percenter like flag in their <laughs> in their barracks room or something. Yeah, sure, whatever, dude. But they'll get investigated over that for extremism and. You know, maybe they're associated. I don't know the, all the details behind it, but you see some of these things happening. And on you know face value, I'm like, should we be dictating how people feel? You know, politically, if they're in the military, we should be saying, hey, don't fucking talk or express your politics at work. Don't do it in uniform. But outside of work, that's something that I think is. Uh, it gets murky, like I said, because I can I can see an argument for both. I lean on the side of do whatever you want. I'm just going to kind of laugh at you if I think it's fucking stupid. Like, you know, all the people that didn't get the vaccine just because, you know, they're, they were Trump supporters. Uh, we had a couple a hundred here that held out and are now getting chaptered. But their reason wasn't anything because of the vaccine. It was because they supported Donald Trump. I mean, I'm sure some of them had reasons for the vaccine, but the ones that I spoke with, it was – no, I'm not getting it. Donald Trump, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what did Don Donald Trump got the vaccine? He yeah, said he got the vaccine. Yeah, yeah. He, he was telling people to get it. Like, what is what does your political affiliation have to do? And, you know, I laugh at stuff like that, but it's, I don't know. It's a really, it's murky. And it's really, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I'm happy I'm getting out. And I'm happy that my time's almost done here because uh, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And I don't think people know what's going on and i don't think those that are making decisions know how to approach something like this so they're kind of irrationally making decisions yeah that's unfortunate because i think that's what uh 
I think the military was a very good experiment when it comes to, you know, how all these different people can cooperate and accomplish something because, uh, you know, you, you get all these different types of personalities and, and people from different parts of the state, different parts of the country, different parts of the world, all coming together and some way, somehow figuring it out and accomplishing a mission. Um, and, and, you know, I get, I get to say used to be now, um, used to dish out, uh, you know, didn't, didn't have to be soft about it. If, if you were fucking things up or whatever, it was very much a, you're fucked up. You need to correct it now. And they had to do it. Uh, it wasn't like a, Hey, let's sit down for a minute and, uh, you know, do this, you know, wrap around talk of trying to, you know, how's your family? How's and then getting to the point, finally, uh, it was very much, you're fucked up. You need to go correct it right now. And they had to do it. With all that, with all these differences, you would have racists in the military. Um, you would have individuals that, you know, didn't meet the standards of civilization right now, I guess you would say. You would have idiots. You would have geniuses. You would have prior doctors. And you're throwing all these guys in the same fucking mix. And somehow they're able to all fucking work it out. They all work it out and they fucking make this thing happen. How is that possible? How is this uh, dude from, I don't want to offend anybody, this dude from said state who hates black people with this dude from, you know, straight up Chicago in the same unit and somehow they work it out together and they're able to accomplish all these different things. Um, I think that was like a very, very perfect example of these groups of people coming together and fucking working shit out and doing things that are more important than than their little disputes on on life like that the the show jar uh was it jar no not jarhead uh the tv show generation kill like oh I, yeah yep. they did that perfect perfect uh very much very much in line with the quote with uh the marine raiders that the guy said it at uh the dude's funeral apology i can't remember the names he said you know, never above you, never below you, always beside you. Uh, and that's very true. Like if, if dudes are getting to think that they're like above people, they're going to put, push your shit in and say like, nope, you're retarded. You need to get back down. You know, and if guys start to fall within that unit, guys are going to come out of the woodwork and say, Hey man, what do you need? What do you need? They're going to bring you back up. Uh, it's always about being online and, uh, and people would watch that show and just think that we're a bunch of fucking animals and savages. And may maybe so, um, but it works, man. Uh, you know, instead of bitching about our differences and shit, we just give each other shit. We laugh off the the things that can kill us. <laughs> and we, we get together and we fucking make whatever it is we need to make happen. Whether it's loading one ISU from another or, you know, conquering a country. It, whatever task it is, you get these guys they're going to make it fucking happen. And you got dudes from, you know, the Congo all the way to Washington, D.C. in the same fucking group of dudes. I thought that was like a perfect experiment. And this is getting to your point where like now we're going to eliminate people on certain things. And now you're going to you're going to make the military, you know, this singular group of folks. It ain't going to fucking work. It's just not going to work out. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I... uh it wasn't like that when I 
when I first enlisted. Um, it was very much like how you described. It was people from all different types of life, and it still is very much all different types of life from all over, from all different types of backgrounds. But you would have those moments where maybe you know I'll I'll, I'll use an example that I experienced where there was um, an NCO. I was a private, and he called a black person hard artem and with fucking fucking piss and vinegar in his voice when he said it too and this dude calmly goes up to him grabs him by the fucking throat and pulls a knife on him and they fucking hash it out right there and then never happened again i think that person's perspective changed after that he had a newfound respect maybe he gets out and maybe he goes back to being you know a racist prick i don't know but in that moment it got sorted right there. There was never a problem at work. Uh, maybe personally they didn't like each other, but they worked together still. Yep. They didn't try and sabotage each other. They didn't try and, you know, nobody went to EO and they could have, and that soldier would have been kicked the fuck out. That NCO would have been gone for sure, um, very easily, and everybody knew it, and he didn't do it. He didn't do that to him. He handled it there. Um, nobody got hurt thought somebody was going to get hurt for a second, yeah. but I'm a, I'm a private. I'm just like, I don't even know what the fuck to do in this situation, but I guess this is the military. <laughs> yeah. Like, like things like that would happen and don't get me wrong. It was wrong. And that shouldn't be something that happens all the time, but the way to go about preventing it, I think, like you said, we hold each other accountable very well. Like, hey, fuck ass, like yeah. you need to come back down here. You're not up here compared to this person. You are very much here. We are all very much here. And I saw things like that throughout my career. Nothing as intense as that. That was probably the most intense bit. And how in the moment it seems awful. And if you just, you know, you're looking down on it and you just see that moment, you're like, there's a racism problem in the military and we need to fix it. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know? But it gets sorted at a low level, which I always think is better. The lower the level it gets solved at, the better for everybody. And they worked together just fine. We were still combat effective and it all worked. And now it's very much isolating. And as I said, I think that just further entrenches people in their beliefs, be it right or wrong. And that's the other murky bit of it. What is right and what is wrong at this point when it comes to what a soldier believes? Because um, it's not as straightforward as, you know, this person thinks that they are better than this person because of the color of their skin. That's a very, that's a very simple thing to understand and be like, okay, well, you know, if he truly believes that and like some people believe that, you know, one race needs to be killed over the other. I, I don't think it's as ex extreme as a lot of people think or as abundant as people think, but it exists. I acknowledge that. Sure. Now it's more this person voted for Donald Trump. This person on Facebook maybe showed support for Donald Trump. Um, so they're an extremist. They're a political extremist. They don't belong in the military. And uh, that's, like I said, where it gets murky between that line of what's right, what's wrong, and how do you handle it? And I, so, I don't... Yeah, so how is, how is an individual supporting Trump political extremism but crushing the other side and removing them from, you know, the service because they believe in a political, that's not a political extremism. It's, How is that? I mean, that's like turning into the thing that you hate, you know, what exactly. the fuck? You exactly. And 
the point that I always try and bring up with people is, you know, if you're on the left right now and you hear that and you're like, fuck yeah, get all those Trump people out of the military. They have no place to be there, blah, 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 whatever. Think about when somebody that you hate is now in control and that precedence has been set that they can use these powers and they can investigate these people. They can use the FBI. They can use the military and they can say, eh, we don't like your politics. So your entire career is ruined. You're going to get another than honorable discharge. And now you can't get a fucking job. Get fucked. Like you, you are creating these actual extremists and these actual people that radicalize out of the military by doing stuff like that to them. And it's a very, it's a concerning thing. And as I said, I don't know what the right and appropriate way to go about it is because there is, there are these problems in the military. Sure. You know, there are some racist people, there are some sexist people, there are some whatever people. Um, it's not as abundant as I think a lot of people make it out to be. And it gets, for the most part, handled at a very low level. And it never really sees the light of day. Um, I think, I think that is the preferred way, but... For sure. Yeah, lowest level. Um, because there's, uh, you know, all parties can be... Uh, separated from it if you can um it, it gets handled but higher echelons are not hearing about it and i know this is very faux pas now um like i got my blood wings you know from a force recon guy and it was it sucked but um th there's there's reasons for that uh, you know pain is a very good teacher um a lot of guys that get the tree line um you know, what do they call it? Tree line. Uh, I'll go find my favorite tree. Well, no, they, they get, uh, they take about the tree line, just beat the fuck out of them basically. Oh, and, oh, and you got a problem with someone. Yeah. Tree line discipline or someone. Anyway, like, um, you know, that, that's effective. And, uh, we, we really, really don't have the time to, you know, get to the reason why you need to do this most of the time when it comes to, when it comes to warfare and, and this kind of job. Now, would, would a dude at, you know, the Apple store need to get that kind of treatment? No, we got, we got all the time in the world to explain how you fucked up. But when it comes to uh, lives are on the line kind of thing, like, we don't have that kind of time. So that shit is – like, we used to do fight nights on Friday when we were, when I was in the pipe, pipeline. So I was still, you know, very much a student, whatever. Um, and we realized, you know – what we didn't realize, our, we had squared away NCOs. Like one guy was a former former recon guy, another guy was a former SF dude. Um, and it's like you guys are never going to show your frustrations. You're never going to air your dirty laundry to our instructors. You fucking keep it inside. You don't say anything. On Friday, you guys get to fight it out. So we had in our building, we had the entire third deck was empty. It was in the process of being, um, you know, gutted out and shit. So we would all get fucking hammered if you wanted to. It was optional. Uh, and we go up there and we put fucking boxing gloves on. And you get to pick the dude, like you. And you fucking went to town. And you went at it until you were done. There was no time limit or whatever. Um, and then after that, it's like, all right, you know, we're good. And I think that's what we we lack dramatically within the entire nation is that we are so adamant about making people understand my point of view. And you know, that's damn near impossible that you guys have folks have completely different mindsets and you're trying like the far right is trying to make the far left to understand. And it, 
same vice versa. It's just not going to happen. But can you dickheads work together for the better good of this fucking country and look at an objective, uh, look at a mission set, look at it a fucking whatever it is and accomplish that thing? You guys know you're never going to see eye to eye about Jesus or about abortion or whatever the fuck. But what's the end state? Like, what what bill are we trying to pass? Like, who are we trying to negotiate with overseas? Make that shit happen. And you know, we used to get fired for that stuff. If we if if we as a, a group couldn't work together to accomplish whatever it is our commander's trying to do, you get fired. You get kicked out of the fucking unit. We have these fuckheads that are in in charge for their entire lives, never accomplishing anything, and they're still fucking there. Like it's, and we're paying them for life. They're like they're they're paid for the rest of their lives, so they get they get bonuses for just being nobodies. You know, just showing up every now and then and, and falling asleep in Congress, or or, show, or or hitting the like, you know, I'm not voting today button. It's asinine. It's fucking ridiculous. And I think it's time that we hold some folks' feet to the fire and make them do their damn jobs. Yeah. And as you said, you know, we had, I, I only experienced this in my first unit. Um, we had MMA gloves. And if you had a problem, it was right then and there. If you're yeah. arguing with somebody to the point where it's affecting work, it was like, okay, we're not, we're not doing this, you know, whatever training we're doing, if we're just sitting there bullshitting or if we're doing like a fucking whiteboard class, we're stopping it. You're going to go handle it and then we'll come back to it. And sometimes people would pussy out of it and, you know, that's fine. Sometimes you wouldn't, sometimes you'd handle it right there. And then, yeah, maybe somebody gets a little bloody black eye and then your first sounds like, what the fuck happened? Then you all lie to him and he knows. And I got whatever. kicked in the pool. That's our, yeah. that's always like, our excuse. Yeah. You, you go about your day. But that problem is solved then and there. It's quick, it's easy, and it's not this drawn out fucking, you know, hate that can it can transfer if you ever deploy. You know, if you have this problem with somebody and you never hash it out, you know, it sounds terrible. But if somebody needs your fucking help and it's like, am I going to run under fire for this guy? I kind of think he's a piece of shit, you know. And the answer always needs to be, yeah, I'm going to go fucking help that person regardless of how I feel. Yeah, the, and people always stray away from violence. They just think that it's a, a very savage way of handling things, but it's actually mm. really, really fucking effective. No, <laughs> we, you know, we don't. No, we don't need to, you know, fight the barista at Starbucks. You know, like, oh, you want to fight this? Like, no, we don't need that shit. But, but yes, like in an organization where you know lives are on the line or serious enough, you know, uh, hey, let's just fucking handle this. You know, and it's done. And I would say it's probably not the same for everywhere, but 90% of the time, guys are coming out of that, like hugging each other and high-fiving, and it's fucking good. It's done. Uh, yeah, right? it's, it's certainly one way to go about it. I Maybe it's because I'm not really a part of that culture anymore because I am – I'm being retired. I'm getting out. But I've kind of um, – I strayed to the – nonviolent approach for a lot of things. Um, it's one thing, you know, when I say I'm pursuing pacifism, I recognize that sometimes in like immediate, you know, uh, you know, self-defense of my life or my family's life, I might have to do something I don't want to do. But for the most part, I've been really emphasizing and trying to educate myself on de-escalation tactics and just being okay with disagreeing with somebody and going about my life. 
So yeah, I kind of I kind of disagree with you there a little bit. I'm kind of I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that. I, I think I have a bias because I'm a detached from it now, but I'm very much taking a nonviolent approach. At least I'm trying to and applying that as much as I can to the rest of my life. No, for sure. And I made videos completely about how to do de-escalation type stuff. It was very specific to our unit being at war, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have time to hash this out. This has to be a thing that needs to be taken care of immediately. Um, yeah, no, like, do I need, do I think that, uh, you know, two, two workers at Google need to go out and fucking hash this thing out? No, man, because for one, they're not trained. Um, and it could turn really, really bad. Um, and for two, for us, it is a training event. You know, there, there, there is always only go 70%, you know, when it comes to, uh, uh, physical combat type stuff and we don't ever really get to go hard because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, we have to maintain our deployment, uh, capabilities or whatever. So no one ever gets to go hundred percent. Well, now you get to, uh, to an extent there are referees around. No, but with the uh, de-escalation stuff, man, I talk about that shit all the time. Um, it, it it does no good to always try to portray yourself as the superior human being. You don't want to fuck with this, bro. Like, no. Uh, actually, the complete opposite. Uh, you want to be very sympathetic to what's going on. Um, you want to remain calm, obviously. Uh, remain that calm overtone. Uh, to try to de-escalate the situation. Uh, like, that's very much day-to-day -day type stuff. This, what we're talking about, is very much, hey, man, we're we're in the middle of the pipeline, you know. We don't want instructors to see our bullshit. Uh, wait, wait until later, because we're all kids. You know, we're all in our 20s, uh, and we'll hash this shit the fuck out. No, that no, no, nobody at Food Lion needs to fucking go out in the back and fucking work this shit out with some MMA gloves. Yeah, it's well, and like I said, it's a. I recognize I joined a profession where your job is violence. As an infantryman, you know you have a bunch of monotonous bullshit, but at the end of the day, larger picture, like that's your job. Your job is violence. Yep. Um, you have to be lethal, and you have to be capable of great violence. I think my. My perspective has changed, and that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about too. As I'm transitioning out of the military, and um, you know, one thing that I saw a lot as an NCO was I would do my best, and in my mind, um, prepare soldiers to get out that weren't going to stay in, um, and give them life advice when I had no life advice to give them besides the military because I've been in since I was fucking 17. So how am I going to help them when they get out? And I wasn't thinking about that at the time I was doing, you know, the best that I could. And I'm like, yeah, this is what you need to do. This is how you prepare. And then I would see a lot of them end up just coming back in because they weren't prepared. Um, they didn't really, you know, have that identity outside of being a soldier. And that was my wake up call. And that's when I started to look into things. And as I said, that's where my approach to life has kind of changed, you know, I read about Taoism now. I think it's pretty cool. You know, I, I like I say, I, I pursue pacifism. Um, I don't think anybody can fully be a pacifist unless they're fine with laying on the ground and getting killed, which I'm not okay with, but, you know, only in direct threat of life or my family's life. And trying to figure out who I was as a person, I was fortunate enough to start working on that while I was in 
So as I'm getting out now, I already have value to people outside in terms of work. Um, I've already, you know, come to terms with, you know, changing how I go about certain things and recognizing that I am going to be a different person. I'm going to treat myself differently. I, I'm not a soldier anymore. You know, I think a lot of people struggle with that. And after doing 20 years for you, I imagine 20 years, that is a lifetime for some people. That is you have to embody what you have done, especially in the military. It's not like any other job where, you know, you go nine to five, you go home. Sometimes you're in at 2 a.m. and you don't leave until, you know, five days later after going hard. Um, you have to embody it. It has to be who you are, I think, to be successful. How, how did transitioning out of the military look for you and kind of, you know, entering, you know, that, that new world after, you know, only knowing the military for 20 years. Yeah, it's tough because uh, even if you do recognize it in yourself that you're not prioritizing your family, um, that that is what you're doing. Uh, and it's not a, uh, it's not you being a bad husband or a bad father or whatever. It, it's very much a matter of fact that if I don't prioritize what it is I'm doing in the military, I'm not coming home. All right, folks, we're back. We had to take a quick little break from yesterday, and we we're picking up recording today. Um, so yesterday when we left off, I was asking you kind of about your transition from service, um, what that looked like for you, and how, you know, the the struggles that came with that, because at, at your level and even, you know, lower than that, it kind of becomes, you, it becomes who you are in the military, and that is your job, and that is very much you. So what were some struggles that you kind of experienced, and how did you kind of overcome that stuff? Sure. Like, uh, the, what we were told was, you know, the optimum time to start your transition is a, is it about two years? Um, and that, that goes with, you know, start looking for other jobs, putting resumes out there, uh, start working on your, uh, on getting your health records and all that stuff. Um, linking up with your local VFW to start working the VA gig, um, et cetera. Uh, but I mean, everyone knows that that's just absolutely impossible. There's no, there's no military unit out there that's just going to let you uh, kind of fall off for two years. Um, so I think actually that two years was because of that, because they can't let you go. So they're saying like, hey, in your spare time, start doing these things. Uh, because I think at the, I want to say it was like the 16 month mark is when you're starting, you need to start getting serious about it. it it's just a long long process, you know, requesting medical records, and then you have to wait two, three months or whatever to get those records. Um, and if you're at like a joint base, you know, it's difficult because you have to talk to, you know, as an Air Force guy, you got to talk to Army guys, and they think that you're an Army guy until they figure out that you're not. And then, you know, it's just a little more difficult. Uh, I think the more challenging thing, though, was that you finally figure out that you got to do this thing. Um, only nobody at the unit is really going to uh, go out of their way to help you uh, specifically for, you know, line units and such. Uh, we had a really good backside um, support element at our unit. So uh, it was, it was fairly easy for me to get access to information. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's completely up to you. It's completely up to you how much effort you put in uh, is what you will get out you know, and that's not talking about 
hiccups of here and there of like, oh, we don't have any of those records or whatever, you know, whatever may happen, mistakes happen. So, but uh, yeah, the, the, the sooner you get after it, the easier the transition is going to be and the better you feel uh, coming out the back end of it. If you don't put time in it and like, you know, you're, you're going to garbage in garbage out kind of deal. So uh, obviously you need to get after it, but there's, I think the, the sense, the common sense of uh, our, our, you know, realm is that our guys need us and I'm, I'm going to, you know, work to the bitter end because my guys need me, my guys need me. And it's really hard to get over that. It's really hard to understand that, you know, the unit or whatever it is, is it's the trains that's not stopping. It's going to continue without you with or without you. Uh, and the, you know, two senses, maybe the one being that you don't want to fail your guys by uh, quitting essentially. And the other, maybe more selfish is thinking that you know, there's no way there's no way these guys can survive without me. There's no way this unit can, you know, I have to have some kind of purpose. I have to have some kind of reason and, and you're taking away my reason kind of thing. I think those are probably the most common ones that I've seen. Um, of course, it's, you know, it's pretty scary going back to the real world, you know. Uh, it, essentially, life is, I hate to say easier because it's your life is threatened a lot of the times, but uh, you know, your food is provided. Your clothing essentially is provided. You, you have a consistent paycheck, you have consistent healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. And now you gotta, you gotta figure out all that shit on your own. Uh, and there, there really isn't a support element, you know, essentially near you that's supporting you. Um, if you want that kind of stuff, you have to go out there and venture for it and look for it. That kind of workload, uh, you know, may terrify some folks. So, again, I was super lucky with the uh, support element that I had. Um, so when I started to get serious about it, uh, you know, I was able to uh, really put my head down and get get the shit done. So I was super lucky in that sense. Yeah, like you said, nobody is going to really help you, and nobody from the top down is going to be like. Hey, you know, take today to go gather all those medical records and go present them and, um, you know, start your uh, SFL tap process, even though in my experience, I think SFL tap is really fucking useless. I don't know. <laughs> did, did you go, what does the Air Force have? Uh, so I did a really good job. They, they do an initial assessment. You go find uh, these folks or whatever, and they do a, an interview with you to see how far along you are with uh, with life in general, I guess. Right. Uh, and then they grade you, uh, tier one, tier two, or tier three, and tier three being, you have to do everything. Like you're just a, a useless jellyfish floating around in life and you need help. Uh, thankfully I showed up with my resume and two job confirmations and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, you're tier one. You just got to go online and do these three courses and you're good. Okay. So very similar to what, um, to what I had to do. It's, it was all online. There was like a phone briefing where they were essentially reading off of like a fucking PowerPoint. Um, but even, even talking to like my counselor, for example, I'm, I'm going to take a second and I'm going to shit on how SFL tap goes. I think it's really, <laughs> I think it could be so much better than it actually is. But like even talking with my counselor, 
um, she was explaining to me like all these things that I needed to do on top of what I've already done. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like what, what experience do you have? Like, you know, doing this stuff. Cause you know, I want to pick your brain and get specifics as to what you did. And she's like, oh, I've been a, I've been a military spouse for about 12 years now. And I'm like, okay. Um, like what experience do you have? Like, that's fine being military. So like, what experience do you have for like applying for jobs? Did you hire people? Did you interview people? Uh, no, I've just done this and uh, I've been a military spouse and I'm like, all right, Sweet. well, that's, yeah, like good, great for you, but that's not helpful, you know? And uh, yeah, so I, I think there could be a lot of things that are done to actually benefit soldiers because I was lucky. Um, I part, I started putting in the work beforehand. Like you, I showed up, I had a resume. I had talked with a couple different um places that I wanted to work and, you know, we were moving along in that interview process and they're like, okay, yeah, tier one, you got to do these classes. I'm like, okay. And you know, it's online. You just click through it, blah, 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 like any other military class. But when I was seeing how, you know, some other soldiers who might be that tier three or tier two, who just haven't done anything to prepare themselves, but have this idea of, I'm just going to get out and use my GI Bill and go to college. Like, I feel like that's everybody's excuse to, uh, you know, that, 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 that E4 that did three years, didn't really do too much, just kind of did a couple live fires. And now it's, yeah, I'll get out and I'll go to college. And then they come back in because they have absolutely nothing going for them. And it's a more of a check the box at SFL tap. Yeah. I do think a lot of it comes down to personal accountability though. Correct. Yep. That's the problem. They don't have that. And they don't have the sense of responsibility to be like, I need to do this for myself. And that's probably the most important thing. Yeah, the military doesn't really, really like, well, like, except for the Air Force. The Air Force is very different, uh, the uh, conventional Air Force. Uh, but by large, you know, the Army, Navy, and Marines, they, they really don't like guys to think for themselves. They very much want you to take orders. Uh, and so when, when it comes time, to think of and care for yourself, you know, you've lost that mentality. You're, you're waiting for platoon leaders or fucking squad leaders, whatever that tell you, Hey, you need to go get your medical records. Like, I'm just going to sit here and wait until someone tells me to do it. And, you know, well, next thing you know, you, you got a month left and you know, you don't have shit done. Yeah. And that's, that's just the problem, you know? The military primes you, especially as a lower enlist, primes you to not do anything unless you're told to do it. And then you just take that attitude and it's like, yeah, I'm getting out, but I'm just going to sit here and wait until somebody gives me a checklist to go do. And then even then, (laughs) most of the time they need like an NCO to go with them to make sure that they actually get shit done. Um, I find it, I find it crazy that they give you 10 days to like out process you can do that shit in like a day or two. Like yeah. if you just go around and actually do it, well, I'm not complaining. I get 10 days to have an excuse to not be at work, but it's essentially like they give them 10 days. I feel because you get these folks who have no personal, you know, accountability or have this responsibility or have the willingness to just go and do shit for themselves. And they, do one thing and then they go and they sit in their barracks rooms and then they do one thing the next day and then they go and sit in their barracks rooms and it is really not setting them up for success like they think they're going to um you know but with that too there's a a ton of other things that go into just what they give you on that checklist you know i'm going through the med board process and 
I'm, I'm kind of lucky with that because they kind of handhold you through all the medical stuff. But I was talking with some other people who didn't go through the medical process. They don't give a fuck about your medical records unless you go to them and you start hounding people about it. Yep. That, that, and, uh, you know, they don't tell you what to do with them. You know, you get them and you're like, okay, I, I checked that off the list. I got my medical records, but they don't tell you like, Hey, you need to find a local VFW guy or, um, and start working that shit with your, your, your VA and all this stuff. And, uh, they don't give you very, they don't very give you very good resources to go to. Uh, you know, thankfully I, I've had friends that had gone out before me and they, they knew all the guys to go to. So, uh, I was lucky in that sense, but yeah, it doesn't say like, "Hey, get your medical records," and then, you know, go find your local whoever to start your uh, your VA benefit process and get yourself enrolled in the VA. Um, yeah, th- I mean, sure, you can pick things up, but then what are you supposed to do with these things? And probably just throw it underneath your bed or something. Or uh, it, it's crazy how how important that shit is of all you know the medical stuff is super important um and they just don't even give it they just let it go it's all word of mouth stuff yeah and you know like i said i'm getting my hand held through the med board process but even with that there was an old coach who back when i first started out we were volunteer coaches on like the cys program and that's how we met and we hated each other like despised each other and he found out that i was in the med board process and he reached out And he had gone through the process and he was like, hey, here's all the shit they're going to tell you to do. And then here's a ton of additional stuff to make sure that you actually get taken care of medically as opposed to just paid money. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I've been emphasizing. I want the problems to be addressed and fixed. That way, my back and neck don't fucking hurt if I turn it too far one way or the other. You know, like the money, sure. Money for the rest of my life is nice. I'm not complaining about that. But... I care about addressing and actually fixing the medical problems that I have. And for whatever reason, going through the process is very much, okay, yeah, you'll get paid. That's it. And I'm like, well, I, I want it to get fixed. So having to go through all these word of mouth people to figure out what I need to do just to be taken care of medically for the problems um, and injuries that I sustained from being in the military, it's kind of, it's a pain in the ass. And I'm an NCO, so I know that I can go around and, oh, I got this chest candy and I got this stuff, people will, you know, kind of take me a little bit more seriously. But that's not the case for everyone. And a prime example of that, I went to, um, I went to sick call once for my, for my back. I had pissed myself. Um, it was pushing down on a quanta nerve, I think is what it was called. And it affects your bladder. And I pissed myself and I'm like, well, this is a fucking problem. Yeah. And I go in, I just pissed myself this dude's arm is literally like fucking broken. Like you can see like there's like random shit popping up and he's just sitting there and he's like in obvious fucking pain. And you know, he, he, he was a private and they come out. He was even there before me. And the guy was like, Oh, Hey, sorry, you can come back in. I'm looking, I'm like, we're in the same fucking unit as this guy. Like he is literally like sitting here with a broken arm. He needs something more than I do. I just pissed myself. And it turns into, you know, shit like that. And even when you're getting out and going through the process, it's the same thing. You know, when you go to sign out somewhere, oh, you're an NCO, it's fine, whatever, sign it off. But that's not the case for everybody else. And it's not even the case for us most of the time. And it's, it's troubling that it is such a pain in the ass just to be taken care of and to actually 
get the stuff that, uh, you know, you need to be okay and to prime yourself for when you get out. It's, it's like a game. It's like a scavenger hunt for a lot of it. Yeah. I couldn't imagine being a, you know, a kid trying to get out doing your two years, four years or whatever, just because that age old tradition of being an asshole, you know, senior NCO asshole, uh, and the kids saying like, Hey man, you know, I have had headaches since for, for three years now, since that deployment, uh, blah, blah, blah. I can't, I feel like I should be like, shut up, you know, get back in your fucking dorms, do whatever the fuck, just because that mentality is like, well, I did it and it was hard. So, you know, you could do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, I thought your purpose was to make it, you know, the situation better than what you had. So just because it was hard for you, uh, it doesn't mean it was the the right way to do shit. So I don't know. It, it seems like those guys slip through the cracks a lot because they just, they are that kind of person and they follow fucking orders and just get people in line. But uh, yeah, it's at the detriment of those kids. Uh, maybe that get, that guy is getting out because he just can't take anymore. His headaches are horrendous. You know, what's more expensive? Is it, uh, if we're looking at this objectively here, uh, what's more expensive? Is it to train a new fucking private from the bottom up? Or is it to get this fucking kid better and get him functional and operational and put him back on the line? Uh, you know, if we if we want to look at it in a statistical way, you know, look at the fucking numbers. You know, what's more expensive? Uh, but we don't see it that way. We, we've had a hard time with recruitment as well. Um, and we're, we're always looking at the problem of how do we recruit more people? How do we recruit? And it's like, well, and I raise my hand and like, how do we, you know, maintain more the people that we already have? How how do we do that? Because you know, I've had my back fucked up for fucking six years now. Uh, you know, you know, how are we going to prolong my stay in the military? Because you know, you've already trained me. You spent millions and millions of fucking dollars on me, uh, but you're willing to just let me get out, worrying about how to get these new kids in and, and spending millions more on them. Uh, it's a very back asswards way of thinking. And I, and I made that comment fucking. Yeah, six years ago and i haven't seen anything change from really they the, you know our portion uh our, our elements of the military uh have gotten way better in that sense when it comes to um you know going up to nico uh and getting head trauma inspected and and getting actual physical therapists assigned to the units um actual strength coaches and stuff like that so that it's not just knuckleheads thinking that they got to run 10 miles every day uh, to get in shape and there's actual science to it now and uh, and when you're done with that you can go next door and get your physical therapy done to make sure you're you're actually doing that and taking care of yourself so it's getting better for us but I mean I I can't imagine you know uh, conventional army and marine corps or whatever making that a priority you know Uh, maybe it's just a logistical impossibility to conduct physical therapy on a fucking an entire company of dudes, you know, uh, I don't know, but, um, if the numbers don't lie, then maybe we should start looking in the other way. Well, there was, a a brigade sensing session on, it, it was for the, uh, NCOs and the, and the officers, and I'm sure they did one with the lower enlisted, but the topic for us was how do we make the army a more, appealing place for new recruits because the recruiting numbers are fucking dog shit like they're really bad yeah they're hurting um and you know people have all these you know good ideas blah 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 whatever and i i just kept thinking about the like you said keeping the people that we have in and 
keeping keeping them around. The problem that I see amongst many, you know, we can talk purely from a financial aspect. A brand new soldier um, that enlists for three years into infantry was getting offered fifty thousand dollar bonuses. I'm an NCO. I enlist. I reenlisted for a third time on deployment. And I got nothing and I'm, I was cool with it, you know, like whatever, like I wasn't expecting a bonus, but it makes me look back and I'm like, why the fuck would I stay when they're offering brand new soldiers that know absolutely nothing, yeah. right? They might come in and be the next Sergeant major of the army. Like I get it, but why aren't we focusing on just retaining the people we have while also, you know, working on getting in new soldiers and that'll fix the overall numbers problem as opposed to just a numbers problem of, you know, new recruits and not the numbers problem of soldiers all around. And there is a problem with soldiers all around. And that's why they made this new promotion system in the army, where if you're in for X amount of time, you're going to get promoted. And they say, like, if you don't get promoted, then you'll get kicked out. And that's not what happens. What ends up happening is, oh, soldiers been in for, I think it's, after three or four years, you have to go to the E5 board and then you just get non-promo counselings. But if you get three non-promo counselings and you go before the board again, you're, they're just going to give it to you. And they need NCOs and that's why they did it. So it just, it creates this environment where you're getting people that shouldn't be NCOs promoted to NCOs. Like we all know that, you know, shitbag E4 that doesn't even meet the standard, but somehow slips through the cracks the entire way and is just going to stay in the military because it's a job and it's money. And then now that E4, instead of just staying in E4, is going to get promoted to an NCO. And then they're going to be accountable for people and they're going to actually have responsibility. And it promotes mediocrity and it doesn't sustain people who should be, you know, being, <laughs> being retained. Um, it's it's a really weird it's a really re weird approach to a problem that seems like it has a very simple solution yep. and I, I i don't really understand it too much yeah i mean there there's always that emphasis um uh, like you guys you know you will get promoted so starting it for us you know uh e5 and all the way up to e7 they're like you better test or you better study. You better you go take your test. Uh, and they're like hounding you to get promoted. And then once you get to E7, you know, master sergeant for us, after that, they just don't give a shit. After that, it becomes a question. It's like, hey, uh, because the, every every squadron will get a, uh, a one uh, opportunity to give an individual uh, a letter that says they're the man kind of thing. So it doesn't, nece it doesn't necessarily guarantee them promotion but it's a lot of points um so they'll go around and ask dudes and a lot of the guys that have been deploying fucking 16 to 19 deployments and been in for fucking 17 years um you know they just like fuck this you know i give it to somebody else and so that that keeps happening goes down the line down the line until you get that one guy that doesn't give a shit about deployments or anything he just wants to you know get a paycheck he wants to get that e9 retirement pay and uh yeah guess what he's the next chief of the squadron and uh he just goes to his office and shuts the door <laughs> until until he has to go work out and or whatever um but yeah it's super super common even with us 
yeah, guys that just, you know, they don't slip through. They, they just, you know, they're the last dudes holding the fucking, the hot potato, you know, everyone else just wants to do their 20 and, and that's it for me, man. I'm, I'm done. Um, which is what I did. Like I, I didn't want to do it anymore. So was it, you know, it, it's, was it always a goal of doing 20 years or were there some times where you were close to being like, nah, fuck this. Like, I don't want to do this. So I'm going to get out. Uh, no, I mean, I had some really, really fucking bad times, uh, right around, I mean, what was it? it's like right around 2010 to 2012 was a, like the lowest part of my life at the time. But there was never a sense that I was going to get out. It was more like, uh, I just need to get back over there and it, everything be better. And of course it didn't. It just fucking, um, you know, ever so slightly would get better and then it'd drop off again and get better, drop off. But there was no, there was no sense that it was the military that was doing it to me. Uh, you know, I just felt like there was something off or wrong with me. Uh, and the military was, was my lifeline. And then about when I had like about three years left, maybe four years, three years, um, I remember watching a Joe Rogan podcast and I had this guy, I think they're, I think they're not, or nonprofit was like fallen angels or something. He was an SF guy. And he talked about, you know, his struggle, like, like he was drunk all the time kind of shit. Um, uh, you know, depression and all that stuff. And I was like, holy fuck, you know, maybe this isn't something I can, I'm, I can control maybe like, you know, cause I was depressed. My anxiety was through the fucking roof. Um, you know, I could just feel my anxiety build up as I drive to work kind of shit. And I was like, fuck man, maybe, maybe there is something wrong with me. Maybe, maybe it's not my fault kind of thing. And I started getting really, uh, really focused on learning about that stuff. And that's when you start learning about TBIs and shit. When you say get back over there, did you mean like get back, over deployed yep yeah so i uh i had deployed four times by then 2009 uh and then i got an article 15 so i had to leave the unit um and i went and became an instructor and uh during that deployment in 2009 i had fucked my back up really bad um to a point where i couldn't sit down um i had to like kneel at my desk i was you know, sitting sideways in the car to drive home. Um, and being an instructor, I was still doing all the workouts with the fucking kids uh, and going out in the field and shit. And I was absolutely fucking miserable. Uh, ended up, I had my uh, L3, L4. Is that your back? C3 or C4? Uh, so I had a bul bulging disc back there. Um, and you actually see my body, like my hips are like this. Now they're like completely rotated and turned up. Uh, so my hips and my gut, my stomach looks like, you know, a fucking Dr. Seuss thing going on. So I was dealing with that. And then uh, in 2011, I lost a good friend of mine on extortion. Uh, and then that same year, the same unit that went in to kill bin Laden, like that was the unit that I was working for at the time. So, you know, those two things like, you know, getting bin Laden was, was the, the crowning moment of, and I've been going deployed so many times now. I was like, this is, this is it. I fucking missed it because I blew it. And, you know, and, uh, you know, Andy died, you know, doing his fucking thing. And it was just the lowest point in my life at that, at that time, drinking all the time, you know, like going in the work drunk, um, just whatever I could do to like 
to bring me back down because I was always amped up, but then I was always depressed as shit. So it was really fucking weird. Um, you know, I had a sense that, that I never had suicide as, as in my mind, but I had a sense that my purpose in life was to go over there and to just never come back, you know, just kind of disappear. And I was not getting my, what I believe my fate was. I was not getting that because I was stuck here uh, doing an instructor thing. It was unfortunate because I really love teaching, but I fucking blew it because I was just depressed and uh, all, all this shit, uh, blaming a lot of stuff on myself. Uh, you know, home life sucked. Uh, I felt like I squandered uh, the good times of my first two kids. You know, I, I missed a lot of my uh, my first child, like a lot of their life. And then I was home for my son was born in 2010. But now I'm at an instructor position and I'm missing out on all this shit. So, you know, I was a complete asshole at home. And yeah, I was just fucking losing it. But again, like never thought I should leave. I thought that the military was what was keeping me um, and keeping me clinging to life. But it was also my, you know, my catalyst for what I believe my fate was, which was just to go over there and die in combat. But, uh, yeah, then I got back to the unit. It was a, it was like a backdoor kind of deal. Like, Hey, you got to leave because of this, but you're going to come back in two years. Like, so don't worry about it. So I came back and then I got right back into it and, you know, things didn't get better. You know, I was deploying a lot and, um, I'd still, I would be overseas so worried about my family for no fucking reason, just be thinking about dumb shit like my my son drowning in the in the lake or something. I'm not there to to be sure he's okay. Um, and then telling my wife that I want to come home so bad. And then I'd get home, and I would just be distant from everybody the whole time, and just so concerned about getting ready for the next one. So it was you know completely lost. It was very much in purgatory. Like I couldn't be never too happy, always too sad want to be home, but I want to be deployed. So when I'm home, I hate being home. And then when I'm deployed, I'm worried about my family. Man, it, it was fucking just super bad. Um, but yeah, then I watched that podcast. I was working out one day and I watched that and I'm like, holy shit. You know, it, it was comforting to know that it's not my fault, that it's real. And, uh, you know, it, it's not me just being a, you know, poopy pants all day. Like that there was an actual physical thing going on with me that it wasn't allowing me to be who I was. And, you know, my wife would always telling me, I wish you, why couldn't you be like you were when we met and all this shit? And I was like, yeah, why couldn't I be, man? What the fuck is wrong with me? That's what it was, you know, multiple TBIs, and your adrenaline being on high all the fucking time, uh, seeing, you know, unbelievable catastrophes and, 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 uh, uh, losing friends, you know, right there in front of you. Like it, all, all this shit just comes together. And there was no system to, uh, you know, kind of bring you back to zero when you get home. You know, even little things like the Brits, when they redeploy, they go to like, I believe it was like Cyprus. And they're forced to stay there for two weeks and do nothing. Like they just, you go to the beach, you eat, you work out, that's it. You don't think about anything. You don't call anybody. You just fucking relax. And it seems really basic and it probably doesn't like, you know, help 100%. But it definitely helps, you know, it's something where as us, you know, we do a contingency operation where we fly in a said place, uh, we spend about three days on the ground, we conduct this hostage rescue, and then we come right back home. And, you know, we were only gone for five days. So you just did 
you know, one of the uh, U.S.'s largest rescue missions ever. And now you're back home, you know, fucking up the household thing. Like, hey, you know, the dishes don't go here. They go here. I'm like, fuck. But, you know, <laughs> hey, 24 hours ago, you know, we were we were dropping some bombs on dudes and that was saving the lives of people. But but here, you know, I put the spoons in the wrong spot, you know. So a lot, I don't know, a lot of uh, animosity that was, you know, completely unjustified because, you know, how am I supposed, how are my kids supposed to fucking know what the fuck I'm doing? They still don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> um, I think a good friend of mine, told my son the other day like man you know your dad's a badass operator my son's like what he's a what he's like yeah he's a special operator like and he turns and walks over to me like dad uh rob said that you're a, an elite operator and I'm like i mean i guess i don't know he was like totally bewildered by that shit but uh yeah that whole process um i think what trying to get to like that shit's real and no one's really going to help you in that sense except for you because even if there's guys that recognize it and to this day i have friends and i recognize what's going on you can only tell them so much in the end they have they have to believe it they have to convince themselves that hey i need to go do this thing uh, and that gets into the medical rec medical record stuff that there probably is something there when i was doing the research on the tbi thing you know you can get a, a minor tbi from a roller coaster or you know a car accident maybe it won't do anything then but if you you know you're a thrill seeker and you go on a fucking million roller coaster rides throughout your life that's when you turn into that turn into grandpa who just likes to sit on the couch and be grumpy all the time grandpa probably had a lot of tbis and that's why he is you know very angry all the time and, and so on and so forth so yeah even if you had a fall overseas uh you get hit in the head uh moving ammo around or something something and uh you know you see the wizard or uh, you're unconscious for a moment like that shit matters. Uh, maybe not now, but maybe when you get out and five years from now, you know, now you have a family, you have a kid. And for some reason, you're just, you know, an asshole to your family and you don't know why and you want to stop, but you don't know how to stop and you don't know how to convey that to your family because um, it's embarrassing or something. You know, you don't want to admit that there's something wrong with you. Uh but then, you know, it's too late. You, know, you never you never brought it up because, you know, we're all tough. We're all uh, big dick, barrel chested freedom fighters and we don't we don't get hurt. We don't have emotions. Um, but it's it's too late, man. It's fucking lost. Like, I'm sure there's a process to go back in time to 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 start it again for the VA. But uh, I, I'd have to imagine it's absolutely heinous. Yeah, there's one thing that I personally struggled with that. I found, and I was kind of, I wasn't relieved that other people were going through the same type of struggles that I was, but it made me think, okay, like this is more normal than like something's completely like just wrong with me compared to everybody else. Um, when you deploy and when you're in a combat role and you see all these things and in the moment, it's like a light switch where you just turn those emotions off because they have to be, you know? So what? Like there's the inside of somebody's head over there. Like you have to, you have a job, you have a mission. You can't be distracted like that. Just fucking forget about it. Keep going. But the problem that I had was I turned off. And then when I came home, like you said, there's no real integration process. It's okay. You just deployed maybe two weeks ago. You were, you know, conducting whatever type of operation, doing whatever, seeing whatever, whatever and then you go home and two weeks later 
It's okay. Now I have to like do the dishes. I have to do the laundry. Oh, well now we do laundry a different way. And now I'm angry about it. And I had a real struggle with turning those emotions back on, which is something that my wife for, you know, a couple of years was like, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like right now, you know, you, before you left, like you were super like, and you know, like women, like emotionally available type deal. And men are like, fuck, no, I'm not like that. But, um, that was a struggle that I had. I couldn't turn back on and I didn't want to admit it for a while. And I started talking to some people like we'd be out pulling security, like during training, like we'd be in an ORP, I'd be going around checking on my guys and, you know, I kind of lay down, make sure they stay, they're staying awake. I talk with them for a couple minutes and, you know, casually I'd be like, yeah, so like, how are you doing? Like, since you, we got back, like what's going on? And they wouldn't want to say anything. And then I would kind of open up with like my little struggles. And then I found that they were going through similar things and it's something that I really wish got talked about more because, you know, you have these people that deploy, you have these people that have to shut down to conduct the, you know, conduct the, uh, the mission. And then, like you said, it's, well, I'm sucking at home. Like I'm, I'm sucking doing what I'm supposed to do at home. I can't, for whatever reason, I just can't fucking remember that the dishes go here or the spoons go there. Where, where am I good at? And you, and and you struggle with that stuff. And then you think about where did I not have these problems? And it's deployment when I was deployed because you were emotionally shut off and you didn't have to worry about the dishes. You didn't have to worry about the spoons. You had other problems to worry about, but you could manage that because you were just shut off to it. It was like, yeah, whatever, you know, that guy that we worked with, you know, for a couple months just uh, got killed and, you know, it it happens. And then you kind of go home having never really processed these events. And because you took so long to process them, you never actually do. And then that leads to all these problems and you know, I don't know what the right answer is, but the more I've looked into it and the more that I've kind of grown over the years since my last deployment and I think and reflect on these things, it's it's a problem that never gets addressed. And you have people that mid-deployment will ETS, like, oh, you know, time to go. So mid-deployment, they're just plucked, removed, and then all of a sudden they're not even in the army anymore after a couple of hmm. weeks. It's go home. And I can't imagine having to go home after, you know, you're 17 years old, you just left for five years and you're in the middle of a deployment where, you know, you're constantly that adrenaline is peaking, which isn't like you said, you look into that, having your adrenaline spike that much is really, it has long-term effects on people. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's not good. And imagine, you know, you're in the middle of that and then you get plucked you go back, you out process really fucking quick. You don't even have time to process half of this shit. And then all of a sudden you're re-entering a world that you haven't really been in since you were like 17, 18 years old and you're around your family. Like it's, yeah, there, it's, there, it's a there's lot. a, there are techniques that, to help with that. And there, I mean, they, I think they're well known, but uh, the military doesn't like to hear about it anymore. Cause it's not, um, it's not condoned and all that shit, but, um, getting guys around whatever, 
small element you want to do it in. But getting guys around uh, in a controlled environment and having drinks and just talking about shit. Um, I, I can't count how many times that has worked uh, with guys. Even uh, uh, when the Marine unit that was in Afghanistan uh, during the evacuation, you know, they had all those dudes just come back uh, and, you know, demand demand their unit to let them have their own party and drink and just be amongst folks. Uh, and a lot of their former uh, unit guys who have gotten out came back for that, and they all just had, you know, a party there. And the conception is that, or inception or whatever it is, is, is that they're just going to start fighting each other and go into blows. And uh, quite honestly, like, the, the complete opposite happened. They all sat around uh, current active duty guys and former guys from that unit all talking about shit. And, and they ended up just talking about like their concerns and their, and their problems that they had in the, when, when they were in and what to look for. And it fucking worked out. It's not to say that, you know, blows won't get, get thrown. Cause you know, we've had our share when we've lost guys here, we just take over a bar and uh, it's typically us just shooting the shit about the dude. Uh, and it turns into like a, you know, massive group therapy session uh but of course there are those who are super close to the dude and just can't take it so yeah they're sure there runs a risk but if you keep it controlled man like allow that fucking 19 year old kid to have a drink if he's you know under their supervision of his senior nco or platoon leader or whatever maybe and let that kid fucking vent man uh if you want that guy to if you honestly want your unit cohesion you want to maintain that experience uh you don't want to lose somebody to a bigger event that could be even more uh traumatic you know this kid finally loses his shit and does whatever uh you know address the problem fucking now and let the let the dude uh be able to open up again and quite honestly to get that vulnerable you know i hate to promote drinking and stuff like that but Sometimes that's just the case, you know, um, that's the only way to get a kid who's supposed to be a killer, an emotional robotic killer, uh, to, you know, put that guard down again and allow him to express what it is he's feeling. And absolutely, uh, I have done that many times before where, uh, you know, I had to give my, uh, concerns about myself out first and then, you know, then the dominoes start to fall. So it's, um, and you know, like you said, the military doesn't want to promote that type of stuff. I think there's a couple reasons behind it. Um, one of it means that they have to admit that there is a problem. <laughs> and if they admit that there's a problem, then they have to, you know, actively try and solve the problem. You know, and even people not only shut off emotionally and then are, you know, to come home and expect it to just be fine and go about it. Um in a way, it isn't, you know, it's looked down upon if you go to behavioral health and they say it's not. They're like, oh, it won't affect your career. And in some cases, it won't. But the problem that ends up happening, especially once you get back from a deployment, HIPAA becomes something that is, meh, it's murky. Yeah. You know, I, I saw, and it, that fucking pissed me off as this guy's team leader at the time. I was a young NCO. I, you know, I, I had talked to this guy. Um, it, that exact situation I described where we were, you know, pulling security during a training operation. I just went and laid down next to him. We talked and I was like, you should go at the time I was doing what I thought was the right thing. I'm like, you should go talk to behavior health on post. Like you have some problems. They can help you out. Um, 
there's resources available. Let's go use them. Um, and he went, and then all of a sudden, like there was some weird administrative stuff going on with them. And then I get called into the commander's office and the commander's like, tell me what's going wrong with, I'm not going to say his name. And I'm like, no, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to violate the integrity and trust that my soldiers have to talk to me about problems. He's going to behavioral health. He's addressing the problems. And then he's like, oh, that's fine. I happen to know his counselor and just calls a behavioral health clinic and talks to another captain and starts, I'm, I'm, I'm in the room. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is the exact opposite of what's supposed to happen. You're about to get me into <laughs> the military legal system as well. Like how fucked up this is. Would, it it will get off subject, obviously. <laughs> it's, yeah, we can talk about that all day. But that, that, that event right there, I remember, you know, luckily he got out. We were able to square him away. Everything was okay. Um, he ended up getting out. Um, you know, he, he had done some stuff. He got a, what was it silver star with valor or bronze star with valor? It was years ago, but he did some shit. He went into shock right after he did it. Um, it was, it was, it was bad. Um, he ended up getting out. He's being taken care of now. Still talk with him. We're actually planning on a hunting trip soon. So he's, he's all good. But that moment though, of seeing how that goes, I was like, I can't now as an NCO, having witnessed this myself, I can't ever recommend anybody go to behavioral health here. So what I started to do, I started to, I would drive, I was fucking paranoid after that. I was, you know, years ago, I was fucking paranoid about it. I'm like, I don't want to go talk about my problems and then have my fucking commander hear about it and then potentially have that, you know, affect how he views me as an NCO. I would drive two hours away once a week to go see a therapist that I paid with cash out of pocket. And it, I was fucking paranoid about it. Um, and I started to recommend, it, it was helping me. So I started to recommend, so I'm like, hey, look, you know, Military one source, it's not the same as behavioral health. It's a little bit more confidential. Um, at least it's supposed to be. Or if you can, I know we don't get paid too much and therapists are expensive. Um, try and you know go talk to somebody outside of the military. And that's what helped me a lot. Communicating with folks who have no connection to the military whatsoever was probably the biggest thing for me. But like I said, the, the, the main problem becomes there is there is a problem for starters and recognizing that and then secondly the resources available while on paper oh you go to behavioral health that will never affect your career it doesn't matter you know nobody will ever know it's confidential you talk i've seen that isn't always true sometimes it is sometimes it isn't either way that's a that's a that's a risk to take and then three if you can't go to behavior health because you're unsure or you just don't trust it. Now you have to pay a lot of money out of your pocket to seek a counselor away from the military. And not everybody has a financial means to do that. And the number one stressor in lower enlisted is finances mm -hmm. because one, they don't get paid a lot. Two, they make dumb decisions. And three, they just, you know, they don't get a lot of money to begin with. And it's just a really vicious circle for soldiers when they get back from these deployments and how to deal with these problems and recognize that it isn't just like, oh, poor me, I'm poopy pants. When you experience TBIs, when you experience those traumas, when you turn yourself off emotionally and don't process a lot of shit that you've seen, done, witnessed, whatever, it will catch up to you. 
and dealing with that is something I don't think the military or, you know, I, I don't want to speak for the whole military, but that the army at least is not good with identifying and solving. Yeah, no. And, and you know, they said that by the army acknowledging it, then it's seeing it as a weakness, but that goes all the way down to the very lower level leaders as well. You know, you talked about that company commander or whatever, that makes him look weak. It makes him, you know, if one of my soldiers is, is, you know, crying at a, at a, you know, therapist, you know, that makes you look bad. And my soldiers are, are weak or whatever the fuck. And like, man, how the fuck can we, why isn't that guy concerned in the, the correct ways? You know, I, I remember when, when PTSD was finally became a thing. Um, and when I, when I finally took my, my test, you know, you take your behavioral, uh, baseline test. I had already been blown up three times. And so my baseline having gone off, you know, whatever was, was already affected. So it, it, it was a joke basically. It was a joke that you, you just sat there and did a fucking test on the computer and that determines, you know, no T, no TBIs today. Uh, but anyway, I remember when PTSD was becoming a thing and it was very terrifying. I mean, the, the word was that if, if you go to the doctor uh, claiming PTSD, like you're, you're out, you'll never be able to own a gun again, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone was like, fuck that. I'm okay. And then later on in life, as, as friends of mine started to retire and shit, uh, you know, they started speaking up about stuff like, you know, guys, you know, I, I was, uh, uh, you know, responding to a kid on target that had gotten blown up. And I remember carrying her lifeless body in my arms and to get her to the helicopter. And then 10 years later, you know, when my daughter was the same age, I remember her giving me a hug and then I fucking lost it. Like, I don't know where. And we're hearing all these stories like, holy fuck. Like everyone is like, yeah, I have done shit like that too. And it's crazy that, you know, nobody knew about this shit until, you know, it's over. People are getting out, you know, or have two years left, a year left. And we're starting to hear these stories of guys like cracking, you know, finally, you know, the pressure got to them, but they showed up to work every day and you never knew, you know, uh, it's, it's unbelievably sad that these fucking guys, some of the most elite human beings on the fucking planet appear that way. You know, they're, they're not, they're, they're finding a dark corner somewhere and they're drinking themselves to death just to just to get through the next day, um, and it's unbelievably fucking sad, dude. Like I can't. Uh, it's it's overwhelming just to think about uh, friends of mine. You know, I see them every day, and they're fucking uh, cracking jokes and shooting the shit, giving guys shit. But then thinking about them going home and like what's going on. You know, they're they're shutting themselves off. You know, they're yelling at their kids. They're uh, they're lost. You know, they don't they don't know where to go. They don't know which way is up and it's fucking, you know, it tears me up fucking just thinking about those guys that that, they go through that shit. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, you know, at least on our end, which, you know, it is the top end of the military. So we get all the money. We have assets, but there's still problems. Yeah. There's still problems. I think it's getting better. You know, I've been out for a minute, so I want to say it was getting better while I was there. But there's still struggles, and it's all with leadership. It is absolutely all. With, it didn't have to do with us. It didn't have to do with uh, with our resources that were available to us. It had to do with our leadership. 
uh, they were not adamant about guys seeking help and maintaining those individuals like we talked about earlier. You know, the concern is, you know, how to recruit more guys. Um, and, and they're, I don't know, at least for in our situation, uh, a lot of our senior leadership were not, they did not have any combat experience where that was changing. Like when I left those officers who had combat experience were in, you know, majors and, you know, light and lieutenant colonel positions. So they're, they're making their way up into those upper areas. And hopefully they get to stick around because a lot of those good officers got the fuck out. You know, they, they wrote, they were able to read the writing on the wall and be like, fuck this. Like if I don't fall in line with what they want me to do, they're just going to, you know, send me off to fucking Cannon Air Force Base or some shit. So they're like, fuck this, I'm getting out. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but yeah, and you know, I think, like you said, the emphasis of a lot of the problems or the cause of a lot of the problems is really shitty leadership, be it at the lowest level, you know, that E5 team leader to the highest level, you know, that sergeant major. There is shitty leadership around, and when that's who you are mentored by as a lower lower enlisted soldier that e3 that e4 if that's who you're prime prime by to be a leader you're going to emulate that and not always but for the most part um the because you that's how you think you're supposed to be and as i said i started i i realized it after i was a fucking tyrant for like the first year or two that i was an nco I was an asshole because that's all I knew. I was like, NCOs are assholes. I don't know why, but they are. So I have to be an asshole too. That's how I'm a good NCO. And I was a fucking dick for a couple of years. And then I started to realize that I worked for my soldiers and I don't work for the people that write my NCOER. I don't give a fuck about the people that write my NCOER. You know? And that was when I started to get in trouble. <laughs> you know, in some cases I can reflect and be like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done those things. I probably shouldn't have said those things. Like I fully recognize that it wasn't always like I was only working for my men and I did the just things all the time. That's not true. But um, that's when I started, you know, also to realize that, okay, so if I'm getting talked to and if I'm getting rated lower because my job as an NCO is to take care of my guys and I'm spending more time doing that than I am maybe, you know, coming into the office and helping another squad leader with their counseling packets. Like what the fuck, what am I doing? I don't care about his counseling packets. That's his fucking problem. That's his job. Little things like that. I, I started to realize, well, if this is happening at this level, what happens if I stay and I become a platoon sergeant? Does it stop there? And then I started to pay more attention to, you know, what my platoon sergeant's doing. And I'm like, well, fuck, he's doing the same shit. And then I'm like, what about my first star? And I can't get a first glimpse onto him. But if it's if it's here at the lowest level, I can only imagine what's going on, you know, the higher you get. And I was just very turned off by it. And I'm like, I don't want to be a part of this, this type of organization where it's not going to promote what I think is good leadership. And it discourages people from seeking out help for themselves so that they can be that effective soldier and meet the mission requirements as opposed to just, ah, we'll just replace them. How do we get more people, you know, and turn me off to it a lot. And, uh, that's why I, I keep saying I'm very happy that, uh, I'm getting out. 
And uh, I'm very happy that that retirement process is just about finished. But man, it's um, it's sad. And like you said, the these people are the elite of the elite. Um, you know, especially at your level, there's you know the most elite men that you could be working with um, that are your friends. And when you show up to work and everything is fine because it's it's work. That's where people are comfortable. They can. That's where they they're successful at. That's where they know how to be, how to operate because they just only did that for however long you know your deployment was, and then they have to go home and deal with all these unknowns and things change. Kids grow up and they have different needs. They have different wants. Maybe they had an interest that you shared before, and then you come home and. Now they don't give a fuck about that anymore. And it's, it's all just, it stacks on top of uh, each other and you don't recognize that trauma. And that's when you end up with, like you said, you know, that guy is hugging his daughter and he just breaks because now he, he's processing what happened years yeah. ago. Uh, it's, it's incredibly sad. And I do know a couple of resources, but I'm curious for you, what, what kind of, you know, cause we're bitching about a problem. What are some solutions that you've seen that have been effective? So, again, very fortunate. Uh, I was selected as a candidate to go to, to NICO, Natural Intrepid Center of uh, Excellence. Uh, their primary focus was uh, TBI, head trauma stuff. Uh, but as the years went on and they were successful, uh, they they added stuff to their to their program. So, like you'll get sleep studies done, you'll you'll get MRIs of your entire body done <clears throat> to look for any kind of trauma. Um, they have specialists um, around the board uh, that are on your team. So you have like seven or eight different doctors that are a part of your team and you do an interview, initial interview with them. And then throughout the, the month that you're there, you, you visit with them here and there. Uh, you get counseling done. You can get family counseling done. Uh, you do art therapy, uh, music therapy. Uh, you know, sensory overload type uh, things done there. You get physical therapies done, all kinds of different physical therapy. Um, and that just, uh, you know, typically to get that kind of information, it takes years. Okay, you know, I get to, you know, get some dry needling done today. And then maybe a couple months later, I can see a counselor. I got to get years of experience all done in a month. And I was able to see, you know, what things work for me and, and so on. And with that, you're on a team of guys or and gals that they're going through the same thing as you that have head trauma and all that stuff. Uh, so I was there with another, uh, another unit guy, uh, a Navy female, uh, intelligence officer, uh, an army support guy who, who worked with ODAs and such. Um, and I think that was it for our group. But so we're all experiencing these things at the same time. And that's one of the things that helped me for sure is to kind of do it publicly um, so that so that you can't cheat, essentially. You know, like uh, you, you had to play the bongos, you know, <laughs> like you, you can't get out of that shit. Everyone else is doing it. So you had to do it. You had to do all the, the artwork stuff, even though however embarrassing it is, uh, because maybe you suck it or you have to do it because you're there and people are watching. Uh, and there's, you know, that competitive nature or whatever. So all the things that sucked 
it was okay because much like being in the military, you had, you know, bros and sisters left and right. They're going through it with you as well. Um, I think the, I've said it before, the biggest kicker for me was knowing, it was finding out that, you know, it wasn't me. There was something absolutely wrong. Uh, and, and like I said before, that's, that's a very individual thing that, that they have to figure out for themselves, that they have to decide, I don't give a shit anymore about my stupid ass, you know, uh, ego. Uh, I got to find out what the fuck is going on. Uh, I got to find out why nothing makes me happy, why I'm not satisfied with anything. I got to find out why I'm on edge all the time. Like I'm, I'm in the red all the time about what's going on in my, in my surroundings. Uh, that that can't be normal you know there's a sense that that uh that you're just an elite killer because you you act like that you're desensitized to everything and you're always alert no that's not fucking normal dude um it doesn't matter how fucking badass or um whatever it is you think you are um it's just not normal You, you should be able to transition back and forth it should be something uh that you're capable of and if you're not then there absolutely is something wrong. Um, but yeah, my kicker was finally, I would say, being mature enough to to let go and accept uh, that I'm fucked up and then to find out that like, yep, you have these things. Uh, and I was like, thank God. And then, you know, starting to figure out that, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I have sleep apnea. That's That was a big kicker for me. Like, uh, you know, basically choking myself out all night. Uh, and, and I was like, wow, I went to bed at nine and I woke up at six. It should be good. But, you know, you just, I got to a point where my, my eyes felt like they were sunk in the back of my head and I just had consistent headaches on my eyes. And that was because I just wasn't sleeping. So, you know, you imagine, imagine a, a long night of drinking and then the next day you have like your eyes are sunken in and shit. Like that was me all fucking day. Um, and then treating the anxiety and, and, uh, and depression stuff was big. Uh, I'm taking some nerve uh, medication for pain. I was in pain all the time, but you just didn't notice it. You're like, yeah, whatever. You know, this is me now. Um, yep. So uh, the the big one is, uh, and, and it's tough because, you know, I have friends that are going through it and there's just nothing you can do. You can only make suggestions and, and talk about yourself. But in the end, they, they have to accept it. They, they got to make the decision for themselves. So that's not a really good answer as far as like, how did I get through it? You know, I just, I, I got over it and decided that I need to fix it. You know, uh, that I am fucking wrong. Uh, not to my fault. You know, I was put in this position uh, and I did the best I could. And, but, you know, it's time to, you know, work on yourself. Uh, that, that's, that, the NICO was meant to bring guys back in. It's it's a it's a uh, process that re-energizes guys and brings them back to find out what all their issues, so that they can continue working. So they're going in the right direction for that. Unfortunately, though, um, you know, guys aren't getting there soon enough. Um, the other unit guy that was there with me, he had he has been in for like fifteen years, so he was th- this was useful for him to get back online. Uh, but you know, the problem is, is sure he, he got all those benefits, but you put back, you know, right into the fire. Um, 
So it, if you don't remove the problem itself and you just add antidotes to it, and then uh, it's never going to go away. You know, you can you can only take shots to the knee so many times they, they keep that pain away. But if you're still doing the same dumb shit, that pain ain't going to go away. Yeah, and like you said, that that ego, because um, we all have it, whether we like to admit it in the moment or not. When you're in that position, and you know, especially as a leader, you almost need to have that ego. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean I am better than everybody else. Um, it just means I am competent in my job. I know what the fuck I'm doing and I am the best one that can make these decisions for my guys. And it develops into this idea that if I leave, who's going to take care of my people? Because you don't think that there's another person that could come in, fill your role and do it just as good as you can, especially if you have people below you. Um, at least that's something that I struggled with when I, um, when they, you know, removed me from a squad leader position because I physically could not do it anymore. I mean, my back and neck, I have a fractured neck since uh, 2017 and I just wasn't acknowledging it. You know, it's that typical, I'm a soldier, yeah, it hurts, I'm going to keep fucking going, whatever. And now my neck is almost ir irreparable. Like, they're like, yeah, surgery can go in, but there's only a 33% chance it fixes the problem. I'm like, what's the other 66%? They're like, 33% stays the same, 33% it gets worse. So, you know, you have this internal you know ego that keeps you going and this motivation and this drive of yeah i'm in pain but i have to keep going and if i take time off to recognize this pain and try and fix it be it physical or mental well then who's going to take care of my people what happens to my position and you think you're the only one that can do it but a very you know hard slap in the face that you know i i, I came to acknowledge um a couple weeks after I got removed from being a squad leader was the army's going to keep going no matter what. If I'm there or not, I could have never been there. I could have never, ever enlisted and the army would have been fine. The army would have kept going. They don't need me. Um, and humbling yourself in that way and reflecting on that is also a very difficult thing for a lot of folks. And I think simply taking away that that identity like i was a squad leader if you were to ask me you know when i did when i was starting to do my job interviews for stuff outside of the military because i was a fucking workaholic when they asked me like you know like tell me about yourself first sentence out of my i'm a squad leader like that was me and when you have something you have that identity and then it gets taken away for whatever reason maybe you got in trouble maybe you're physically hurt Maybe you're mentally just, you need time to process some shit. Having that taken away is tough. Um, and, you know, the important thing I think is recognizing that no matter what, how important you think you are, especially in terms of the military, they don't fucking need you. No matter how good you think you are, they don't fucking need you at the end of no. the day. You are very expensive. And then, uh, you know, it, it, there's always the struggle, uh, you know, do I prioritize my family or the or my job? And it always goes to the job and you make excuses as the why. And some of them are legitimate. You know, if I don't focus on my job, I could die, um, which would trickle down into the family. Uh, but like you said, you're just a fucking number, you know. So do I need to put massive amounts of time, all of my time actually, 
into this entity that really could give a fuck if I, if I lived or died or how more should I put it in this group of folks that absolutely not just need me, but they want me there. They want me there. Um, and it seems like a really, really, really simple answer, but it really isn't executed very simply. So, yeah. Uh, again, you know, getting into the retirement thing, getting into the medical thing, getting into what's more important it is very much the individual. The individual's got to make that fucking decision. And it's really, it's not that easy. Uh, guys that might be listening to this right now are probably like, yeah, right. That's, that's fucking not an easy decision whatsoever. What are you talking about? And like, I get it, dude. I absolutely get it. But there will be eventually something that, you know, for you, as you said, there's, there's something that finally clicks and it's just like, yeah, I know what the right answer is. One, well, I think also while you're in it, it's easy to say, it's an easy answer to be like, I'm going to put this time and energy into my job and not my family. I think it was easier for me to be a soldier. It was easier for me to be an NCO. It was easier for me to be a squad leader than it was to be a good husband and a good father. I, th- I think I'm on the right track now. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of do a little, cause I want to be better and I always want to be the best husband and father that I can be. So over the years, I'll talk with my wife every so often and be like, how am I doing? Like, am I doing better? And yes, you're doing good here. You're lacking here. And it's a very open, honest communication. But, you know, I, I, I truly believe that for me and for a lot of people, it's easier to be what you are at your job, especially if it's in the military, than it is to be a good, you know, father or a good husband. Um, and it takes time. And it's because you have been a soldier for how many years? You know, and you haven't always been had to have been a good dad, you know, or a good husband. When I deployed, yeah, I'm still a husband, but for nine, ten months, what are my, you know, what do I have to do for my wife? I have to stay alive. You know, and am I doing that for her in the moment or am I doing that for the people around me in that moment? So it's you know, that's another transitional problem that I think some people face that. You know, if I had to give any advice for that, it would just be open, honest communication with whoever you're with. Um, that's what helped me. But, you know, I know a lot of marriages, especially a lot of marriages in general go to shit. A lot of marriages in the military go to shit too, because there's so many, <laughs> you know, different contributing factors. You get married way too young to somebody that you don't really know, or, you know, the stressors that, you know, putting the job first in such a time, um, you know, time heavy job and emotional investing, um, investment, uh, that is your job. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of problems and there are good solutions out there. There are good people that want to help. Um, I highly recommend to everybody to talk to people outside of the military structure. Um, you know, it's good to relate to people. I think, um, you know, like you and I having this conversation, I get your perspective from somebody who operated at, you know, the highest of levels. Um, I get that perspective and, you know, I take some things and I learn from it, but there is also a lot of value in people outside of, you know, our gigantic circle of veterans and, and, and friends that we might've served with, um, and the resources that those provide. 
Um, I, I found those personally to be more effective, but you know, some people might benefit from talking more with veterans or people like that. So, uh, ultimately, um, you know, admitting that to yourself, that there is a problem and, you know, really humbling yourself and letting that ego go, I think is the first step to at least fixing those problems that you might be experiencing. For sure. And I'll add to what you're saying, like get folks on the outside of the military. I completely boloed this, but NICO was like that. They're, they're not military folks at all. And it, it quite honestly was the, the first time that I felt like people cared, like honestly cared about me. You know, you, you talk to military doctors and it, it very much was a game, you know, they, they all, they all knew that we wanted to deploy and shit. So we're going to, we're going to do what it takes to get you operational in whatever means necessary. So, um, they always played that game and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't to say that they were ignoring you, but I think it was just known. Like I know you want to deploy without them saying this and we're going to get you operational, but yeah, dealing with civilian doctors and therapists and all that, um, uh, they they fucking cared about you and it was crazy it was like instantly uh the intensity inside me just like went down it was like you know they're they're not trying to get me to deploy they're not uh just kind of treating me like cattle and you know branding me and moving on to the next one um they they're not going to let me leave until they understand what's wrong with me because they give a shit not because it's their job it's because they they really, really want to find out uh, what's wrong, and and they want to get you better. So yeah, absolutely recommend uh, you know actual human beings and not uh, not military robots to figure out how you're ticking. Yeah, and well, just to expand on that a little bit more. When you mentioned the military doctors, it's be I, I read a book recently by Pat Watson. Um, it's called Fuck Bureaucracy really bold and in your face what it's about. But, um, you know, it make, it made me reflect on some things and I'm like, well, yeah, those military doctors want me to be deployable and will apply band-aid solutions to problems that require, you know, stitches or something, because if they disqualify you from something, well, now they have to answer to the people that pay them who are going to be unhappy that X amount of their force is now not deployable. And it incentivizes them to make you as operational as possible because if they don't, maybe they're viewed as not doing a good job or, uh, you know, anyways, I don't want to get too deep into that. I could talk about bureaucracy all yeah, day. Yeah, we used to joke about um, that all the time. We're like, man, if, if someone actually came in and really did this, you know, we'd probably be like 75% down. Dudes, dudes yeah, are deployable. And, and imagine the battalion commander oh, yeah. when he gets a report that a company is 75% operational. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> but um, I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with me. I learned a lot. I hope um, our audience can kind of, uh, you know, uh, learn a little bit themselves if they're going through some similar problems or there's just a lot of people that, uh, I think we'll enjoy listening. So I appreciate you coming. I appreciate you chatting. Please take the time to talk about yourself, what you're doing, uh, where people can find you after this, um, how they can support you. If you got anything going on like that, uh, floor is yours. 
yeah, no, I'm not going to promote anything. I'm just here to, you know, educate folks. Um, I did my time. Uh, I don't, I'm not seeking any kind of financial benefit whatsoever at this time. We'll see how long IG lets me stick around and then force me to somewhere else, but just come find me on the interwebs and, uh, any questions whatsoever, uh, no matter how minute or extreme they are, you know, send them my way. I've, I've, I've sat on the phone with dudes for three or four hours that were having issues about shit or, or, you know, we disagreed with each other and I ended up calling the dude uh, and you, you worked it out. It's just a communication thing. Like I thoroughly enjoy uh, talking to folks. Uh, It's interesting. People are interesting. Come to find out if you actually talk to them, you don't, you don't text them. Yeah. I'm eager to, I am eager to learn about humans and I'm eager to, to teach humans. So, just keep sending it. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. If you had any closing advice for people, we usually do dad advice. So give some advice to the people and then we'll end this one. Dad advice. Dad advice. I'm a new dad. So this is my way of learning from, uh, from older dads. Yeah. So dad advice. Um, you got to understand that critters are a lot smarter than, you know, they're unbelievably smart. And I think for the most part, what hinders them from being unbelievably successful is the parents. Um, and that seems like a really maybe kind of unmotivating thing to say or whatever, but uh, allowing them to get in trouble, allowing them to test things, uh, allowing them to do these things that we deem dangerous or inappropriate at the time, this is the time to do it because you have them in your control. Uh, the time for them to figure these things out is not when they go to college. So, you know, I, I hate to say this just like kind of blankly, but let them get in trouble. Let them figure this shit out now while you have control and you can explain to them the whys. Because once they're off the college, it's over. And now they have to rely on other 19-year-old kids to tell them whys um, when you're back here with all the knowledge. Uh, so that would be my only recommendation. Let, let kids be kids and then let them try it. And then you get to tell them why that sucked. (laughs) I like that one. Let kids be kids. Let them get in trouble while they're under your control. I say control. That's kind of uh, very. Yeah. Well, well, they live in your house. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) No leashes. Don't use leashes. Jesus. No prong collars. (laughs) I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Okay, bye. Why can't I stop it? Oh, God.